And it's very, very difficult to tell a pure allegory because of, because of that. The allegory tends to take over the dramatic narrative. This is one of those very rare movies where every single shot is teeming with dimensions of allegory without ever compromising the dramatic narrative. Welcome to The Artist Story, where we take a movie, we do a deep dive analysis of story structure, character, and themes. My name is Adam Argo, and today I'm joined by one of my favorite buddies, uh, guests, uh, filmmakers, uh, Adam William Cahill. How you doing, yeah, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm particularly excited to get into this one. I'm, I'm excited every single time we get to sit down and go through a film. It's my favorite thing to do in the week. And the fact that we're doing an Irish film this yeah. time around is, uh, is, is just adds a, a cherry on the, on the cake. So I am... Um, really thrilled for this one how are you getting on yeah me too me too i'm really excited for this one you're the one that recommended we get into mcdonough and uh, as soon as you said banshees i'm like yes let's let's dive into the deep end and uh, especially because i mean you being irish i mean uh i expect to get schooled in this one so <laughs> this will be fun hopefully a little <laughs> bit of context coming from this direction but we'll see we'll see <laughs> uh real quick before we dive in uh why don't you tell the audience uh where they can see your stuff and like what you're working on right now nice one man so uh wild stack productions is the name of my company uh on social media it's at wild stag media uh on all the social media machine machines so whether it's instagram facebook youtube tiktok x um you'll find me at that handle um basically at, at the moment we just in the last few months my first feature film follow the dead released on um amazon prime it's also on apple tv it's on a few other locations if you google it you'll find it in lots of places wherever whatever territory you're in you'll be able to find it and um yeah so that's that's been out just um released just this year and i'm currently in the process of making the proof of concept for the sequel and then i'm writing a lot of other stuff and then i'm doing this po podcast with your beautiful self and i'm doing a few other podcasts as well uh of my own or I'm, I'm trying to get them off the ground so lots of different interesting things happening and if obviously anyone wants to go see the movie follow the dead is the name of the movie and if you want to see what else is going on behind the scenes all that kind of stuff um some funny skits and stuff like that, that we post as well uh at wild stag media so thanks for letting me uh promote myself absolutely how would you feel about doing an episode on follow the dead where we do a, a structural deep dive i would i'd actually love that as much as it's like most people probably think oh no you're gonna you're gonna have your it's like analyzing a, a, you know uh, it, it's like you're taking Taking your baby and putting it on a slab. Yeah, a child. It's like you're, you're, you're dissecting yeah. a child. I would actually love that yeah. because for me, it's, I'm not so attached to the point where I, where I'm, I, I love criticism, even when it's leveled at me, because I would rather grow than stay as I am. You know what I mean? I won't change if I don't analyze my own stuff. Yeah. And so no, I would, I would, I would happily tear follow the dead apart. So uh, yeah, if you want to do it, if you want to do it, we can do it. Maybe we can talk about that sometime. <laughs> I, I think that'd be really interesting. That'd be fun. Cool. Well, let's talk about it. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, again, I cannot recommend you check out William uh, Adam William Cahill's stuff. It's a uh, fantastic artist, big up and comer. Uh, really excited that you're uh, that you're uh, sharing your yes, stuff right. with us. Also, quick announcement: we've got the uh, story structure intensive coming up. It's going to be two hours where we take the kernel of an idea develop it in real time live. Uh, so if you, uh, when you sign up and enroll in part of this, you get to participate as if you're a member of the story team. And we work together to take all the elements of story structure 
to come out with a complete full outline. Within two hours, we go from kernel the idea to complete outline that you could take on, uh, you know, basically you could uh, hand it off and write a full complete screenplay just by following the outline after that. Now, what we're following are the development techniques that I've developed that I use in my book, Story by Numbers. Uh, now, Story by Numbers is currently available on Amazon.com. Um, and but but the best way to get it is to go to cinematicore.com, subscribe there, and then you get all the links and all the connections. Uh, but so subscribe to cinematicore.com and you can get uh, access to all the videos we're doing, all of my old Anatomy of Chaos videos where I go into story structure. It was kind of the foundation for story by numbers. Uh, and then you can just basically get all the swags. Uh, cinematicore.com. Um, so I'm very excited for that. That's coming up in January and we'll be releasing all the details soon. In fact, by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be right before the intensive. So <laughs> be sure true. to be part of that. Um, cool. Uh, now that we've taken care of business and a little bit of housekeeping, let's dive into the Banshees of Inishiren. This book is for you. Story by Numbers is a step-by-step -step process. It gives you the tools to construct a plot that fleshes out your story with characters so real, so compelling, so multidimensional, you begin to wonder if you're possessed. Story by Numbers is composed of three parts. Part 1 gives you an overview of the four-act structure, 24 plot points, 8 sequences. Part 2 is a 35-question examination of your story that will guide you through developing and outlining your novel or screenplay into the four-act template. Part 3, well... That's just next level dope shit. This isn't just another book on theory. Story by Numbers is a diagnostic toolkit for developing and fine-tuning your story. You'll also want to pick up the Story by Numbers workbook. For each story you're writing, you'll need a journal to organize your ideas. The Story by Numbers workbook is a companion notebook that walks you through the process as you outline your story and guide you through each phase of development. From constructing your protagonist's internal drive, to plotting conflicts that expose character, to composing scenes that drive compelling stories. By the time time you've completed your story by number workbook, you'll be ready to finish your manuscript. Everyone knows there are no rules for writing a great story. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, here are the rules. Story by numbers. Write more, better, faster, doper. Banshees of Inisherin, a very newly released film. It only came out a little over a year ago, October 21st, 2022. It has a runtime of an hour and 54 minutes, including credits. The genre is, it's a dark comedy period drama, which is uh, it kind of, mm. it's interesting in the sense that you don't get, I mean, it's quite novel. You don't get too many of those. The writer-director, uh, as Adam already pointed out, is Martin McDonough, who is responsible for other films like In Bruges, which I absolutely love, uh, Seven Psychopaths mm -hmm. and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It stars four incredibly talented Irish actors who I am absolutely delighted to be able to talk about uh, today. Colin Farrell, um, Brendan Gleeson of the... Uh, of the famous Gleason family in Ireland. There's quite a number of uh, actors from that family who are doing really well in Hollywood. Uh, Kerry Condren um, and Barry Keown. Keown is the appropriate pronunciation of the name. Is that how Keown. you say it? Keown? Yeah. Now, even he, he's like myself. I say Keegan. I would always say Keegan or he Cogan. Says, he, even he says Keegan. He's very he's, he's similar to me in the sense that I think he, he prefers to use the, ubiqu the ubiquitous pronunciation so because it's easier in the industry. My name is Adam William mm. Cahill in the Irish tongue, but I say Cahill 
the same uh, because Cahill is how you would say the name in the UK, in the States, in Australia, everywhere, every other English speaking country apart from Ireland. So I say Cahill. He says Keegan because that's what everybody says, but it's Keown. Keown. And then how do you say your name? Cattle as in like No, no no T, just Cahill. 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 Yeah, oh, cool. That, so Very it's, cool. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, I know it's, uh, it's probably never going to catch on, but at least if anybody wants to try and get it right, Kyoan is how you say, how you say his, his name. Um, so That's the budget awesome. of the movie was 20 million in the opening weekend. It made 1.7 million and its gross revenue was 49 million. So it's over, over more than doubled its budget uh, at the moment. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of a disparity in the in the Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores. Ninety six percent from critics, so really, really beloved by critics. Seventy five percent by audiences. And I'll, although we, I don't have a demographic breakdown, I would really love to know. Um, it, you know, was it was it that there was a potentially displeasure for the fact that it's very Irish, and some people might not connect with it too much maybe it's the irish themselves who felt a little bit betrayed by the film uh martin mcdonough isn't oh. martin mcdonough isn't uh like he, he spent his summers in ireland but he's actually an englishman so he's, he's like he's kind of like me he's 50 50 he's got he's got a, a, a english and uh, irish in his family but where he grew up in the uk i grew up in ireland um so and there, there are aspects of this film where even when i came out of the cinema from watching it there were people complaining about the way that it portrayed irish people so i don't know maybe maybe there's a little really? yeah, maybe there's a little bit of bitterness there i'm not sure i didn't really did, i didn't consider it to be a a slap in the face whatsoever but some people for whatever reason uh, i definitely have heard people you know with my own ears people giving out uh, about the way the irish people were portrayed um so yeah i i'd be interested to see when we get to the criticism section, I'd really like to hear kind of like what the what what the general take is, like where where you live and what other people take in, or what you've heard other sure. people take in, especially being Absolutely. Irish. Yeah. Um, so yeah, seventy five percent audience, not as not nearly as high praise as the critics were giving it, but still a very good score, obviously. And then the logline is. Two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their friendship with alarming consequences for both of them. So very mm. broad, but uh, yeah, very it does, broad. Does sum it up. Yeah. It, it, it nails the, it kind of nails the whole the premise, uh, premise sure. of it. Yeah. It doesn't go any deeper. Which the premise sounds like it's kind of very low mm-hmm. stakes, but the interesting thing is it doesn't feel like low stakes. And that's, I, and that is a testament, to, that's a like testament to the writing of, of Martin McDonough. He began as a playwright. Yeah. So the, the, the first quite a number of his first publications were all for for people to perform on stage and so when you're obviously when you're writing for for, for the stage and you're not writing for camera angles and close-ups of this and and mm-hmm. wide shots of this your everything is all about the discourse between the characters that are on stage and so he writes incredibly interesting dialogue even when it's you know it's it's not mm-hmm. it doesn't even necessarily have to get all that uh, that deep but it's just, in, but yeah, yeah, and yet there's somehow there's a lot of depth to it. He knows how to create that tension just between two people having a completely mundane conversation. He, he's, I think he's a master at that, which is why I believe that there's you, mm-hmm. you have a lot of st- stakes and a lot of suspense, even in what seems like a very um, asinine sort of disagreement between two people. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I agree. They always say that the the play is about the word, and film is about mm-hmm. the image. Mm-hmm which I like that as kind of a placeholder, yeah. but the truth of it is, 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 uh, 
I think film can be about the word yes. and the image. It really comes down to what the needs of the story are. And this is a film that I think does both incredibly well. Like the, the dialogue and the writing um, is phenomenal. And I think the filmmaking, it just elevates it even more. I, I may as well just spoil it now. I don't, I don't have a single criticism for this movie. <laughs> like I don't believe in perfect but there's not one thing I would change wow. about this film. I, th I think that highly of it. I, I think it's so phenomenal. And every time I watch it, I love it more. And, you know, now I've probably watched it like six times through yeah. and it's, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, I, I can't wait to get into like all of, you know, we, we're going to start off uh, with the story structure and then dive into the meaning. And I think the meaning is where we're really going to get yeah, to the meat absolutely. of it. Absolutely. It's lace. Um, it's so anyway, so so did that kind of cover the bases of like, uh, so 50, it's only made 50 million. That's kind of surprising. I thought it'd be a little it's higher. It's quite niche though, isn't it? I mean, like, I, as much as it's, and the, and the other thing is it didn't yeah. win the Oscar. I, I reckon if it had won the Oscar, it probably would have got picked more interest from people and would have, wanted to, would have done better than it did. But it is, it is a very niche film and it does come across, even when you're watching the trailer, it's like, the fact that the premise is so it does come like when you're watching the movie you you can feel the tension coming through the screen but you, you know you're not going to capture that completely in the trailer it comes across as a little bit of the tongue-in-cheek squabble between friends and that's just there's so yeah. much more to it than that and, and and you won't know that unless you watch it yeah so, so much yeah and i i kind of get it like i will say like uh you know someone like my mom she watched it and loved you know the first part of it, like loved it. Cause it was just this idyllic, beautiful Island that you're just, you love the culture. I want to move to Inishirin. <laughs> I know it's a fictional place, but I want to move there. I want to live there. And she watched it. And then when it started, you know, getting gruesome, she checked mm -hmm. out, you know, she's, you know, also in her seventies. So um, it's just not her, her forte, understandably. Yeah. So I can, I can see how it alienated some audiences. I think it 100% Again, I wouldn't change a frame of this movie. I, I think it's, again, I don't believe in perfection, but this movie is flawless. It's so beautifully it's done. Amazing. Uh, cool. Any other uh, aspects of the setup? Uh, again, uh, writer, director, same same guy, which I love. Uh, I didn't know he's a playwright. That's really cool. Mm -hmm, that's right. It, it makes sense that he has so much depth and so much character-driven. Oh, you should read, Sorry, you should read some saying? of his plays. He's got some really, really amazing stuff. And, and, and again, it's so Irish- it's 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 crazy to think that he's an Englishman because like a lot of the stuff that he writes he write, he's got a trilogy based on islands that he other fictional islands that he created around Ireland with Irish people on them and there is there's such a he really understands our culture and he really understands the way that we speak and our tonality and and the, the particular execution of the way that we that we um, engage with, with with each other in dialogue so. Um, it's it, yeah he he, he I, I appreciate that he absorbed so much of that considering he was only here during his summers you know he'd summer in Ireland and that was all he'd do but he's, he just he gets us which is pretty cool in a way it kind of makes sense like if you're from the area like I grew up moving around mm -hmm. a lot and because I moved around a lot I would it would consciously affect me the way people spoke mm -hmm, differently mm -hmm. so I'd pick up on like oh they say this phrase like this or they say this phrase right. like this and then living in other countries and learning new languages you know, you, if you live there, you take it for granted, mm -hmm. but if you're new there and immerse yourself, then you like the differences really stand mm -hmm. out so that in a way it kind of makes sense. But, but I was curious because 
you know, watching Banshees, like you, like the way they speak, you know, it feels indicative and kind of like um, small village kind of speak. Like it's a very different kind of way of speaking than, for example, mm-hmm. you speak. You know, I feel like you speak a very kind of modern, uh, maybe even, I don't just, you don't like you and I can speak and it, it sounds very, almost like you could just, you know, speak American with an Irish yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds silly, but um, <laughs> it's because I'm, I'm. Do you, I'm do you watching it? Did you feel like, oh, the, these are very simple people? This is a different place than where I grew up. Or? Uh, well, I traveled around Ireland a lot growing up, so because I had friends from different counties all over the place, and uh, and so I I kind of as much as I I'm, I'm I, I it's strange actually when I travel around around the country, I, it's people identify me more as a dub than I kind of as though I'm different. I'm a little bit strange. I'm a blow-in, as 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 they're called. When, when if, a, if a Dublin person moves down the country, um, which I did for a while, so like they would identify me and go, oh, "He's he's Dublin. He's he's not, you know, he's a little bit different." Um, whereas I kind of is Dublin uh, more urban. Dublin is incre- uh, yes, extremely, and it's so, so cosmopolitan. Like we, Dublin doesn't feel like Ireland. Every single time that I so I'm an English teacher as well. Uh, uh, in, in terms of my vocation and and a lot of my students will ask me where they should travel while they're here in, in the country and I say look if you want to see real Ireland at all you haven't seen it yet if you're in Dublin because Dublin is Dublin's great it's a city people some people you know prefer city life to country life and there's a lot more things to do here to a certain extent but you don't see real Ireland you don't get a taste of real Irish culture until you go anywhere else because Dublin is basically just another, like, it's the same when you go anywhere, really, I think, you know, you go to France, if you go to Paris, it's going to feel like Dublin with French people. It's, it's not going to feel like it's somewhere completely different culturally. Mm. And so, like, I didn't feel yeah. out of place in New York. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's a city at the end of the day. But when you go, when, when you do go outside of Dublin, that you do get a much, much stronger sense of what Ireland really is, what the culture is like. And people do talk completely differently to the way that I talk. But I will find myself like, you know, when you have that sort of social, uh, you know, socially aware disposition that so, you, like even the phrases I will use will change a little bit when I do go down the country, just kind of fit in a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it is ex- extremely different. Like if, we, if you were talking to someone, um, from the countryside, you know, sitting next to me right now, you would definitely, yeah, it's, it'd be a huge, huge difference. Interesting. Yeah. And I, when I lived in France for a little while, like living in Paris versus like going to the South there of France, go. totally different yeah, yeah. cultural experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I, I tried learning French living in Paris and that's like trying to learn English living in New York <laughs> city. You know, it's nobody has time for you. And they'll just, they'll just talk to you in, in yeah, English. Yeah. But yeah, I, I get that. It's a, it's a culturally, it's a very different experience. Yeah, absolutely. So. And like, it's so cool. Well, let's, uh, like, like, the, you, you pick any country in the world, you'll find someone from that country living in Dublin. And that's not the case down the country. You're obviously, you're, you're just surrounded by Irish people down the country. So interesting. Uh, so let's, let's dive into the structure. Um, so of course, first we start off with structure. Then we want to talk about character and how that relates to, to plot. And this is plot structure specifically. Uh, and then from, uh, character we dive into themes and what the story is really about and then we'll cover criticism at the end and you know spoilers i don't have any criticism but i want to hear some of the some of the discussion that might be going on especially from people from ireland and what their take on Mm -hmm. it was um so okay so when we're talking about story structure uh the first thing we have uh what this is about an hour almost 50 minutes Mm -hmm. from uh, titles to credits uh, and the first thing we want to look for when we're trying to suss out what this movie is about, what the structure is and the plot, we want to uh, start with a dramatic question. Um, 
And of course, the dramatic question is always phrased as, will the protagonist achieve X? So in the case of Banshees from Inishirin, what is the dramatic question? So I, for me, there were a few different questions that came to mind in terms of what the, what the premise was, was, was trying to achieve. But obviously, when we're looking at the, the dramatic question, as you pose it, it's got to be something like I, I thought, could it be, will Porik realize why Colm isn't talking to him anymore? Or, um, but, but the thing that, that obviously I, I, was, I kept trying to remind myself of was that the protagonist needs to be aware of what their goal is. And so mm-hmm. we discover exactly. what, what Porik, uh, what Col- the, Colm's reason for not wanting to be friends with Porik uh, is very early on anyway. So I, I believe mm-hmm. that the only, and again, I, you know, I always caveat this, I could be wrong, but the, I believe that the question is probably, will Porik reconcile with Colm? Because that is his active goal throughout the film. So that's really interesting, especially in the context of this movie and especially with the context of the outcome. I think you're, I do think that it is, I think that's a really well articulated dramatic question. I think it can tie it in a little bit more specifically with the verb. Cause I do think reconciliation is part mm-hmm. of it, but it ties into what is he trying to reconcile? And I think we can go just a little bit more specific mm-hmm. Uh, so I would pose it, 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 this is just kind of taking yours, your dramatic question and tying it in a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Will Porik earn Colm's respect? Which I think uh, it, it's a slightly different question, but that is, that is what he's trying to reconcile. Every single step he's taking, uh, it's not just that he wants his friendship back. He wants his goal is to is um, not just to get his friendship back. He doesn't want it. He, things can never go back to the way they were before. Mm-hmm. Like he can reconcile and they can just pretend to go back to what they were before. But that's not what he's trying to do. He realizes he's lost his respect. Um, and uh, sorry, how do you say his name? I was saying Podrick just because I looked because at the, the spelling. spelling. Yeah, but, it's, it, 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 when, yeah. When you're looking at the Irish language, there's loads of different letters that don't sound at all the way they do in, in English. So it's paw, mm-hmm. like the dog giving you his paw, and and uh-huh. Rick. So Richard. Paul Rick. Paul Rick. Is that Paul Rick? Yeah, is okay. Paul Rick. Okay, cool. I might say Podrick every now and then just because I, you know, I'm an idiot, but uh, I'll do my best. So Podrick. Okay. Will Podrick earn Colm's respect? What is the moment that uh, he decides that he's going to set out to earn his respect or that he knows that this is the size of the problem? Um, okay. So there, he, it's difficult is the is the April Fool's thing just a stumbling block? Because at one point he he, he thinks that it's not even real at all. So that's this is it, it, the actual mm-hmm. issue itself is only he realizes that it was all just an April Fool's joke. Um, but I mm-hmm. I suppose I struggle to try and to, to determine wh- whether the whether it's the impetus or the dramatic question starts when Column says. I just don't like you anymore. Now that's probably the impetus. So the point where Parik determines that he has to go out and reconcile or earn the respect 
Yeah, I'd say you're gonna have to school me on that one. Okay. <laughs> um, really good thinking. I agree with you. I do think the impetus is where he says, I just don't mm-hmm. like you anymore. Right. That's when we learn that there is a problem that needs to be solved. He's, he's not just, it's not, Oh, they're, they're having an argument or having a fight. He's saying, no, this is the end. We're done. I don't want anything to do with you. And we don't know why. And the moment when he learns when he takes on the plot, because before that he's kind of like, okay, well, well, we'll be friends. This is just an argument. By the way, are you picking up that alarm in the background? Again, for those of you guys listening, I apologize. Uh, we're just going to keep soldiering through. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the dramatic question, uh, will Podrick earn Porrick, Porrick earn Cullum's respect, um, happens at the moment when uh, Cullum identifies what it is he doesn't, why he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. And the answer to that is when he says he's dull. Mm-hmm. And that scene happens 27 minutes in. So the typical first act is you get a hook impetus about 15 minutes in and dramatic question uh, about 30 mm-hmm. minutes in. And that's the end of act one usually. And this is, this is actually conventionally structured pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty uh, prototypically right at about 30 minutes is when we see that this is the problem that call, that uh, Paul Rick is going to set out to solve by earning his respect. Um, and he, and basically saying he's that, that he's dull. Um, and the, and the dullness is like, he's just not somebody who challenges me. Who's uh, it, it's a very specific word he uses that ties beautifully into mm-hmm. the themes. Um, so from the dramatic question, that helps us build the spine all the way to the climax. And the climax is the answer to the dramatic question. In the case of Banshees, what what is the climax? What is the answer to that dramatic question? Uh, okay. So, I, I mean, I, reframing the verb definitely changes the outcome in terms of the climax as to what. Yeah. I, because for me, if I consider it, will I, I consider this film a tragedy. And then if the, if the question is, will Park reconcile with Colm, the answer is no. And the, the climax would be when he burns his house down. Cause it's basically like, this is, there's no turning back now. I've completely and utterly ruined this friendship as mm-hmm. a result of the things that, that, that have you know, led to that moment. Um, so the answer would be yeah. no, and it's burning down the house. Now I would imagine the climax is still probably burning down the house, but as to how it answers the question, uh, will he earn his respect? He probably does because he's not dull anymore. Like he's burned someone's house down. He's no longer nice. He's replaced his, his nice and dull, uh, you know, um, persona with something more interesting to Colm. But mm-hmm. Colm had already said that yep. he started to finding find him more interesting before he burned the house down. Yeah, but then he still said. Then he still threw four more That's fingers true. at him. That's true. Yeah, because he lost his yeah. respect again by finding out that he had sent the, his protege away. Um, so yeah, I guess. Yeah. So he does earn his respect. Yeah. So it ties, it ties into that. So I agree that I, the climax is, um, is that mm-hmm. burning house. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and the resolution is so brilliant. I love this movie so much. Um, so yeah, he, by gaining his own convictions, it, at this point, it was Paul Rick's idea 
to burn the house down and for him to say, I don't care if you're in it, but it's better if you stay in your house when I burn mm-hmm. it down. It's just better for all of us. So he has that strong conviction after he killed his donkey. Um, I'm so sorry about that beeping in the background. Doesn't sound too bad on my end. I hope it's okay at home, everybody. I'll, I'll see what I can do about adjusting it. Hopefully it, it has a uh, removed background noise. So hopefully it's uh, uh, kind of filtering it out a little bit. We've got the climax, which is he does earn his respect, which is interesting. You say it's a tragedy. I do think it's tragic, but it has a certain amount of irony to it. That's, you know, that's what makes it a great Mm -hmm. film is that he achieves what he wants to achieve and it's filled with nothing but Mm -hmm. bitterness. Like, so he does earn columns respect and that becomes their separation. That becomes the the thing that will keep them separated Mm -hmm. and just foreshadows all sorts of trouble for the future. Mm -hmm. Markedly. Um, so yeah, burning down the burning down his house is definitely the climax. Uh, so the impetus, uh, we kind of already addressed that. The impetus is when Columns uh, tells him outright he just doesn't like Parik mm-hmm. no more, and uh, that's that's really the 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 presentation of the problem. The impetus is what kicks the story off. It's it's what starts the whole story. It's the finger that taps the first domino that sends all the other consequences and events of the story into action. Um. So the impetus in his case, or what other people would call the cataclysm or cataclysm, <laughs> um, the, the uh, not the, the cataclysm, catalyst. the uh, <laughs> catalyst. Thank you. The C word. Yeah. Catalyst. I don't like the word catalyst. Uh, I'm, I, I cover this in my book, but a, a catalyst is a chemical agent that takes a, um, a chemical reaction and speeds it up. So it synthesizes, but speeds up an already existing uh, chemical reaction. That's not what uh, that plot point is. It doesn't speed up something that's inevitable. It's an impetus because it starts the process. So it's it's just a question of metaphors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then inciting incident is another word that people use, but every incident in a plot incites the next events or all the following events. So every single plot point is a kind of inciting incident for that which follows. So that's why I say impetus. It's, it's the thing that starts it off. If you call it an inciting incident, if you call it, uh, uh, I'm blanking again. Catalyst. Cataclysm. Catalyst. Catalyst. Thank you. If you call it catalyst, I'll understand what you mean. Everybody will understand what you're generally. Most people will understand what you mean. It just comes down to whatever metaphor works for you. Uh, so I use impetus. Uh, so from the impetus, we got the impetus, dramatic question, climax. We want to go to the midpoint. What would you say the midpoint is? The first finger. I, th- I would imagine, like for me, that's where things, like that's where they know that he's serious. That's where things start taking a really dark downturn. Um, he threatens to cut his finger off. Maybe it's the threat of cutting the finger off, but I feel like they're still not sure that things are going to take a really dark turn up until the point where he actually does it. So... So what? T- tell me what a midpoint is, just so everyone can understand that they're on the same page. Okay. So the midpoint is where the story basically. Uh, the, well, sorry. So where the protagonist ha- uh, is confronted with something that takes the direction of uh, what they're doing, um, take takes the the, the, the plot into a, an, another direction where the, a new strategy has to be implemented because there is a, a revelation of some description that turns the situation on its head. So 
the rug is yeah. pulled from under them. They now they're they're faced with with a a, a a truth that they weren't expecting that now sets them on a course towards the climax in a much more uh, downhill fashion. Yeah, that's really well said. So uh, if that's the case, which do you think it is? Is it the moment where he threatens to cut off his finger, or is it the moment where he does cut off his finger, or another moment that you're not thinking of? <laughs> I'm assuming it's door number three. Um, I think <laughs> where th- I, I think the cutting the finger off is the moment where the rug is pulled from under more so than the threat of it. Cause maybe at the, you know, he's, he's a surly person. He is, um, as, as was pointed out by the, by the priest, he is suffering with despair. He has that sort of behavior about him. Maybe you're, you're not going to take that threat too seriously, but once he actually cuts the finger off, there's no turning back. At that point, the, the man's already mutilated. So no matter what happens at this point, things will never be the same again. He's cut his finger off and he's thrown it at his former best friend. So I would imagine that is the the, 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 the trap door. Okay, so you're going to double down on first finger. Yeah, I'm an, all, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So I'm going to double down. Okay, so you're, you're committing, you're willing to bet your house on <laughs> the midpoint being cutting I'll bet my off. car. <laughs> Okay, your car. All right, that's that's a good start. This is a podcast. We don't want the, the stakes to be too high. All right, uh, and survey says, "Bing, cutting off the first finger, dead on right." Yeah, it's a really solid midpoint. Everything up till then, uh, again. So we we talked about like how you know dramatic question is where they set off to solve the problem, and usually that second act between the dramatic question posing the dramatic question to the midpoint is usually where the the protagonist starts to feel like they're making progress and all the steps they're doing are kind of everything within the strategies that they know how to do. It shows off their strengths and it tends to be like, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. This isn't that big of a deal. And it starts to feel like they're about to achieve their, their, their goal. When all of a sudden, you know, that's why that, that rug pulled out from under them or the trap door opens beneath them feeling happens is because they think they're so close to solving the problem. And then it says, Nope, the problem's much bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. The second he cuts his finger off, you hear that thing at the door. You see the blood stain on the door. And then ugh, it, it's it's brilliant. It, it really, really solid. That's when that's where this movie loses a lot of people. It's and it's exactly where I think this movie needed mm-hmm. to go, especially when they when we get into what this movie's really about. It's absolutely brilliant. Okay, so from the midpoint, we want to go to the low point. What would you say the low point is? Or, or tell us what a low point is. So the low point is where the... Wait, before you tell me, t- tell the audience what the low point, what a low point is in general. A low point is when the character basically is faced with the worst possible outcome of the situation that they're in. So they're, they're, it's, the, it's the most negative point of emotion. They feel the, the worst they can possibly feel. And it's typically that it's the exact thing that they need to experience in order for them to then be motivated to go and achieve what it is they need to achieve in the climax. You do, you, you, it's that point of the of of most uh, formidable sacrifice. That so the thing that you have to shed yourself of that will eventually remove the the character of their flaw or ghost or wound or whatever term you want to use, so that they can go on and achieve the thing they need to achieve at the climax. So here's the interesting thing about a low point is that um, in tragedies, emotionally, 
there can be moments that are even lower than the low point, you know, because that's, uh, there's finality to it. I think the difference between a climax and a low point, especially in a tragedy is that the low point, it may, it may feel like it's the end. It may feel like uh, there's a conclusion there. If you ended credits there, it would be a tragedy, but there's a low point means that there's still reversibility to it. There's still an opportunity to turn around. And that's usually, like you said, that's usually where the, the character arc happens. But again, we've got lots of examples of movies where the character arc doesn't happen. Uh, like we talked about in Dune, which you and I didn't talk about that, but in Dune that has a separate low point from a character. Yeah. arc. In fact, the, the character arc is about 15 minutes after, Tune in for the Dune episode, folks. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which uh, I think that'll be uh, the one right before okay. this one. So, um, so that if not that if you're watching out of order, that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this case, 100%, the low point and the character arc land right in the middle, and it transforms uh, Parik in a really powerful, compelling way. Um, I was devastated. This movie put it just I was on the roller coaster the whole time. I felt horrible for Paul Rick. I felt horrible for mm-hmm. everybody. Also deeply loved them and was like, I want to hang out with every single one of them. I want to hang out with Colum. Like I want I love this movie <laughs> so much. Um oh, I just gave it away. So what what is the low point on uh So the low point on, is on my little pony gets the finger of death. <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> Jokes on the finger Jokes of death. Excellent. Kills his miniature donkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh why is that the low point? That is the moment where as much as for like so there are some seriously dark moments surrounding the death of Jenny the donkey um so we yeah. we, we see that Porik's sister Siobhan moves away um so and he's been with her his entire life but she decides that she's going to move off for pastures greener greener than the emerald isle somehow um and so she is <laughs> she she's gone gone away and left him alone um obviously the the, the entire interaction with his with his supposed best friend is pretty dark in and of itself you also have the death of the apparent village idiot um and so there's a lot of really dark points but that's the moment where we know for specifically for the the protagonist which is porik that's the moment where he snaps that that's it couldn't it that it couldn't be worse for him than losing which is basically you know his it's almost like it seems he's as great he's grieving as much as if he just lost a child and that's where he decides. Yeah, exactly. That's where he determines his friendship with Colm is one hundred percent done. That's it. There is no coming back from this. Yep. We are taking this to our graves. Yep. Exactly. Beautifully said. Totally agree. Um, okay. So then, uh, from now that we've got the kind of lay of the land, uh, the shape of the roller coaster, we uh, go look at the hook. What is the hook all about? A pint rejected. Uh, so he is the <laughs> Col- goes to visit Colum as he normally does. So in in Ireland, uh, two o'clock is considered the reasonable hour to for, to, to start drinking alcohol. Before that, if you drink alcohol, oh, drink nice. alcohol before two o'clock in the day, you're an alcoholic. 
anytime after two o'clock of the day, you're okay. So when do they have their first pint of the day? Two o'clock. So he visits, he right. visits Colm to ask him to do the usual invitation, come down to the, to the, the pub for a pint. And Colm tells him to run ahead and grab the pint, but doesn't join him. And so it's, Parik thinks that it's business as usual. It's just a normal, lovely, beautiful, mm-hmm. sunny, rainbow-covered day on Enesharon. Yeah. But yeah. something is amiss because we know we can tell from the, from the look in uh, on Colm's face that something's not right. Exactly, exactly. You got this uh, like idyllic. It's such a great character intro. I mean, it's it feels you know like it feels almost like a cartoon. He's so happy, so Disney. He's so content with his life. He loves everything. It's even adorable that uh, what is his name, Kearney, the the cop. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what we what we'll never say to him. It's like everything is just sweet and adorable. He's so happy because he just gets to go hang out in the pub with his mm-hmm. best friend. Like I get that. I love it so much. You, it, and then there's that first. Little- no, sorry, go. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's it's almost like if anyone any big Lord of the Rings fans, it's sort of that. It's the Shire. You know what I mean? It's that. It's that idyllic sort of oh, yeah. farm. Uh, lifestyle where it's very very simple and if you're into if you're you know again we described the difference between someone who feels like they belong in a city there are those people I've grown up in cities all my life I was born in London raised in Dublin but I feel like I belong in the countryside and so when you see the, the, the view like that 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 sort of you know simple people living a free and beautiful life in in a, a, a lush environment there's something really, really compelling and beautiful about that. And and the, by the way, that rainbow. A lot of people think that rainbow is CGI. It's not. It was legit. They shot it on the day. There was a rainbow in the background of the of the shot. So it's it's yeah. yeah. Wow. It's, it's, that was not put in 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 post. That's actually there. That's amazing. I was sure that was yeah. CG. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you know which island? They yes, shot the Aran Islands off the coast of Mayo. I've been there a couple of times. Um, it's yeah, it's, it is a really, uh, it's, it's, it, it does feel like it's isolated from all of the, the troubles and the harshness of, you know, regular living. If you're in a, if you're living in the, in the city or, or urban areas, suburbs, um, it does feel very, very yeah. like peaceful, tranquil. It's a beautiful place. That's awesome. Okay. So we, we've got the structure. We got a good uh, sense of the overview. So from this, we can look at the basic act structure. So the first act comes in right about uh, 27, 29 minutes. That's a that's a prototypical first act. Uh, you've got the hook, uh, Pleasant Podrick and Mopey Cullum. The impetus, he says, um, is his, uh, uh, he doesn't like him anymore. And then the dramatic question is, because he's dull. That's when we're like, okay, this is a problem we have to solve. Before that, there's kind of this question. I've, I've seen a few different people um, discussing the story structure online and discuss it with a few friends. And a lot of people thought the story didn't really start until he makes the threat of the fingers, but that's, mm-hmm. he's, he's already set out on trying to reconcile this. As soon as he says he's dull, mm-hmm. we're like, Oh, I don't want to be friends with you because I don't respect you. So then the question mm-hmm. becomes, once you understand the question is, will he earn his respect? Then every single strategy after that orients to that you understand, well, if he wants to be friends with him, why would he be sabotaging him? And he slowly realizes he, the only way to get him to want to be friends with me again is to earn his respect. So that first act ends right about uh, right about 27 minutes. Uh, and then we get a nice uh, solid 35 minute second act that's prototypical right up to the midpoint. There's not this, this movie is so well paced. 
first time I watched it, I even felt like it was kind of just fanciful and kind of chill and just transitioned really nicely. It almost felt like, I wouldn't say slow, but it, it didn't feel like this high paced, intense drama. It just slowly mm-hmm. built. And then, but going back and really studying structure, these are very short, concise scenes. One or two scenes that really, you know, like some of the bar scenes and the confrontations, they tend to last and have some beautiful uh, dialogue in there. Um, so then we go to mm-hmm. the midpoint uh, after about 35 minutes. And then we get a nice little, just about 25, almost 30 minutes for the third act. And then a nice short fourth act where everything sums up. So prototypically, mm-hmm. this this is right on target for kind of a, a Hollywood structure of, uh, you know, most people say three acts. Again, I say four acts because uh, I track the strategy. Um, if you ask most people what makes an act different than like a sequence, and usually, you know, uh, an act is composed of several different sequences. But when a sequence culminates, it's different than when an act culminates. When an act culminates, it the character has taken on a different strategy because usually there's a new conflict. They've reached a certain landmark. That's what makes us a landmark. A landmark... Uh, is a culmination of sequence, but an act break is a culmination of sequences that causes the audience or causes the protagonist to take on a new strategy. Um, and this is really effectively shot in that way uh, or, or structured in that way. Um, so from there, uh, let's, let's just do a quick run through overview of the story structure. And we start off, we got Pleasant Podrick or Porrick. Sorry, I keep doing that. Uh, Podrick. I swear I did hear a few people say Podrick in the movie, but it could, it could just be me trying in to. In the movie, they never pronounce the D. You never pronounce the really? D. Really? Ever. There's no, there's no, there's a, there's a few different dialects of, of, of Irish in, uh, on the island. Even though it's a tiny little island, there's a few different ways of saying certain words. Um, but none of them, you don't, you never say the D. Oh, really? You can say you can say porrick. You can say you can say porrick like pour me some milk. You can say porrick like a dog's paw, but the D you never pronounce. Oh, donkey! <laughs> the D in in an Irish word. <laughs> not not if Irish people say. I, well, Irish word. people aren't saying unky. They're saying donkey. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like if if the, if the word itself is Irish, porrick is Irish oh, for gotcha. Patrick. Oh, okay. So because it's. Actually because it's an Irish name. And you're going to tell us the meanings of the, the names D. too, as it ties into the allegory, right? I can uh, absolutely I, I do can't that. wait. Okay. So let's, let's run through the structure really quickly. <laughs> Cause I want to get into the real meat of this. Um, okay. So quick, uh, we got the hook. We've got our, he, uh, Parik is thrown off because he thinks he's, you know, are you having a row? That whole thing. Um, Colin's not home. The impetus. I don't like you no more. That discussion outside. We introduced Dom. I love these little touches. Like the first time we see Dom, he's carrying the stick with the hook. And he's like, what do you think people would use this for? He's just playing around with it. And of course, later that's the stick with the hook that the, uh, that they'll use to fish him out of the lock, which is Mm -hmm. so devastating and such a great, he's playing with the tools of death, like without even knowing he's playing with it It, and speaks this really beautiful, tragic, 
imagery. Again, this movie is... He plays that character so unbelievably sympathetically. Like, if you see him in other movies, he can be really sinister. He can be... like this. Like, he's such an incredible yeah. actor. And if you know his background as well, like, he, he comes from a broken home. He was in a lot of different foster homes growing up. Acting was his way of stabilizing himself so he didn't get into delinquency, essentially. Wow. Him and his and, and his, his, his brother weren't even able to stay in the same foster home together. So the, he had a really kind of rough upbringing and to, and to have used the art of acting to steady himself and to have done such an incredible job at such a young age. He's such a young guy. And, you know, to be able to, to play, I mean, that, that character of Dominic is like, he's really, you know, he's giving, he's giving that everything. And, and it's just, it's, 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 you, you just, you really feel for the guy, even when he's being awkward, even when he's being rude, you know, you just think you just, he's so lovable. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he, he plays. Him so the first well. thing I saw him in where I really noticed him as an actor was uh, the killing of a sacred deer. And when mm-hmm. I saw that, I was like, with Who Colin the fuck is this well. kid? He's amazing. Like he's, and then yeah. him and, and Colin Farrell are so good together. I, you know, I went, yeah. Early Colin Farrell, I was not much of a fan of. He was, you know, he did a lot of movies that I didn't really didn't grab my attention and stuff. He's not much of a fan. Colin Farrell is not a fan of early Colin yeah, Farrell. But <laughs> that, that, was, that was his bad boy days. Ever since just, I saw him in The yeah, Lobster, I'm like, where the fuck has this guy been? He's amazing. Like he's yeah, yeah. everything he's done since then uh, are some of my favorite movies. I think he's, I think he's yeah. in his golden era right now. He's doing so much amazing yeah. work, and he's working with great artists. He's and it's all. Great. Independent mostly as yeah. well, right? He's not doing any of the studio stuff anymore. He's doing independent really stuff, and now he's shining. Yeah. Um. So okay. So intro Dom, uh, and then we uh, chatting with Miss McCormick, <laughs> the the, uh, the avatar of death. Uh. Then we have the music <laughs> session where he goes to the bar and he's just bitter and jealous and um and he goes off and has a drink with Dom and we we get a real sense of like fuck this is like. Uh, Parik is like, am I becoming the village idiot? Am I what everybody thinks of Dom? Uh, and then he wakes up the next morning. He sees that it's April. Yesterday was April 1st. And he's like, oh, okay. This is not a problem. I feel like an idiot. So he jumps back up to this positive. He's like, yeah, okay. Everything's back to normal. He's not totally sure, but he's pretty sure this is just his buddy playing a trick on him. Okay. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that great scene with his sister. Well, you never get lonely. You know, oh God, she's amazing. Um, she's so good. And then he goes, he has a confrontation with him and uh, he's like, well, I could be doing better things than waiting for you. He's like, like what, what could you do that's better? And this is when, you know, Siobhan comes in and she's like, what's, what's wrong with him? Why don't you like him anymore? Cause this is really upsetting me. It's throwing my life out a bit. You got to fix this. And he's like, he's dull. That's the moment where he's like, which is interesting because Powerick's not even in the scene and they cut to the next, the mm-hmm. next scene where he's asking his sister, do you think I'm dull? What do you mean dull? Everybody likes me. And that it sends him into this existential crisis. He's like, wait, I thought everyone liked me. I'm, I'm a likable guy. I'm a nice guy. Uh, then we go to Colm's confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic scene where the priest is kicking him out and he's like, well, if you die before your next one, you, you'll be proper fucked. So good. <laughs> uh, and then we get the big threat look if you don't leave me alone Parik, i'll cut off my fingers each time you bother me i'll cut off a finger and you're like whoa so i, I gotta ask you like uh, adam it, do you know anybody do you hate anybody so much that you would cut off your own finger to keep them away from you 
I don't hate anybody in the world, but I, I've, I've, I don't think that in my, in the darkest times in my past, I don't think that I've ever, uh, yeah, to, to, to cut your own, <laughs> literally cut your own, own, uh, you know, appendages off to, to somehow spitefully attack someone. It's not even doing anything, you know, you're not, you're not burning their house down you're, uh, at that point. You're not cutting their fingers off. You're not doing them harm. You're doing yourself yeah. harm. It's yeah. It's, it's a great metaphor for the themes we're going to dive into. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, Dom comes over for dinner cause they found him beaten and he tries to, you know, uh, flirt with Shaban. I love that moment where she walks mm-hmm. off and he's like foiled again. Foiled so again. good. Faint heart and all that. Uh, and then this scene, I think a really important scene, but he goes over to the other side of the Island and he's got, what is it? The, he sells the, uh, the market, uh, the milk. He says, milk. yeah. And she's yeah. like, he's like, I've got news. Oh, that's shite news. That's not real news. Such a good scene. <laughs> uh, and then he gets, uh, beaten up by the cop. And, uh, then he has a sad ride home. That's just devastating. Like with column, with column, column gives him, he gets beat up by the cop and column gives him a ride home. And he's just like, I just want my friend back. And he just starts crying a grown man sitting there just devastated. And I felt every moment of it. It was, ugh, it's th- that feeling like, Oh, I just want my best friend back. Why, why aren't you here with me? I need you here. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the, the great scene where no one remembers nice, that great discussion about Mozart and Beethoven is like, well, you know, this is about greatness. I'm trying to do something great here. I'm trying to do something that people remember that outlives me. And it's a great argument. I think it touches on the very core of it. Uh, and then Shaban gets a job offer. Uh, and then um, Paul Rick goes to the beach, apologizes. And he says, look, I'm sorry. And he's like, Paul Rick, why do you keep coming? He's like, that's it. I've, I've told you. I've warned you. You keep coming at me. That's it. And then we get the big uh, midpoint, the first finger. And it's interesting because, you know, this is, when you think back, when I first thought back on it, I thought the finger came much earlier. I thought it was closer to 30 minutes in because it's such a stunning really? moment. Yeah, because it, it feels mm. like it flies through. This this movie feels, it's not paced very quickly, but I feel like it just flies through because every scene is so entertaining. Mm-hmm. So in the midpoint. Mm-hmm. And the way, even the way they deal with that, like the, the, fing, the, the finger being cut off is like, it's incredibly, it, it, you see it for the kind of visceral, yeah unsettling mm-hmm. unpleasant thing that it is, but then it's immediately turned into a yeah. joke afterwards as well. We're debating what to yeah, do with it's it. So, it's so <laughs> grim and then become, and the thing of it is, is up till now, I didn't believe for a second that it was kind of cut his finger off. Really? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was like, okay, he's just saying this is just bluster, you know? And uh, yeah, so when yeah. he actually cut his finger off, I'm like, where the fuck is this movie going? Holy shit. And then it just gets gruesome, mm-hmm. more and more gruesome. Now, notice in the second act, uh, usually it tends to feel, you know, this is all about showing the strengths of the protagonist. And usually there's this kind of sense of progress. So, like, the feeling feels closer and closer to achieving their goal. So the emotions tend to be, like, mm-hmm. success, 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 until they reach the midpoint, and then the bottom drops out. In this case, Paulrick thinks he's making progress to a degree, but he's never quite sure. He never knows where he stands and he doesn't quite understand this whole idea of like, I don't understand why you think I'm dull. I don't understand why you've lost respect for me. And he's like, he can't be serious. And it's not until he shows that he's serious 
that it just keeps dropping. And then, then we're really spiraling down. It's, it's kind of like the whole thing is downhill, but it's kind of a gentle slope at first and then drops off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Then after this, uh, he just says, just leave him alone as Shaban chastises him. Um, Shaban goes and confronts him and says, look, I think you're ill. And he's like, no, I just want silence. She goes, great. One more silent man on the island. That's all we need. Uh, and then we get this great lonely montage, which is like, it's very quick. It's, you know, this is barely a minute and a half, but it really mm-hmm. solidifies the emotional state. Um, and you get this hilarious bread van sabotage where it's like your, your mother was hit by a bread van. Or your father was hit by a brave man. He's like, what? So is my mother. <laughs> if it's the same one, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so good. Uh, that has to be performed really well as well. Cause that could be, that could be so schlocky. So yeah, easy, but it's like, the performances are oh, so, good. so it's really well cut. The, the act. It, that's what I mean. I wouldn't change a frame of this. It's perfectly cast, perfectly directed <laughs> again. Sorry for saying perfect. That's just flawless. I, I can say it's without flaw. Um, <laughs> and then he starts to say a new tactic. He's like, okay, we need some sort of new tactic to try and figure out, like, how am I going to earn his respect? That's what's happening here. Um, and then we get that beautiful scene where Dom uh, says, do you think you could ever love me, Shaban? Mm. And just that devastation of, well, there goes that dream. It's the, it's so much more devastating because he's trying to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't really care. Of course not. Oh, why would you? But because he's mm-hmm. such a great performer, you really feel that this is devastating him. And he just is doing everything he can to try and maintain a little bit of like dignity. That's been memed to death now as well. That moment where he's like, there goes that dream is like, it's, it's used yeah. in so many different, you know, social media posts yeah. now where it's in reference to anything political, anything, whatever is like, there goes yeah. that dream. But it's, but it's, you know, but it is, it's an incredible, an incredible moment where you're like, ugh, you can, it's all in his face. It's like his words are, are betraying him because he's saying the opposite. He's saying, ah, oh, it's fine. You know, I'm just going to go over here now and do that thing I was going to yeah. do. But you can see on his face, he's shattered. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so then, um, so from there, we call or um, Paul Rick goes over to Colin's house, gives him a slag. He's like, "Now I'm not here to be friends. I'm here to, you know, pick a fight, just slag on you." And th- the funny thing is, is he's still there because he desperately wants a friend. And he's like, "Leave me alone. I don't care that we're not friends. I just want to be left alone entirely." And then, of course, this this builds up to the four finger fling, four fing, four finger fling, where he throws all four fingers <laughs> just to be like, "Look, I mean it." The rest of my hand, mm-hmm. and this is when you know Shaban hits her. Her like, I got to get out of here. This is too much. Um, and then of course the dead donkey, uh, and then he comes and gives him the threat to our graves. Look, I'm I'm gonna burn your house down tomorrow at two o'clock. Which I didn't realize the two o'clock thing. That's great. The moment when they would usually be drinking is this is when I'm going to come yeah. and burn your house down. And I don't care if you're in it. And then when he goes back to the, uh, the confessional and he asks about, you know, the despair and he's like, you know, it's, it's a yeah, with the, with the priest. Um, mm-hmm. And then that beautiful devastating montage with the letter that the, the Shaban and Parik are writing back and forth. Well, you always have a, a spare bed here. Just come here. The war is almost done. Just come back or come get off the Island. It's killing you. And this is when he's fully embraced. He's like, no, I'm going to see this through to the end. And then the climax of course is the bonfire. Um, we find out that Dom is dead 
uh, which is interesting because we're building up to this idea of, you know, we've got the, the portents of the, um, the death that's impending. And we think it's, we think it's going to be uh column or uh Parik, but it ends up being Dom. Um, uh, and then the final scene where they're on the beach and he says, some things, uh, something there's no moving on from, which is where they have from this point on, these two have an understanding, which is, it's great. The way they perform this, you still feel like Parik is, please, can we still be friends? I was like, okay, if this is our new friendship, fine. Our new friendship is being enemies, but I still love you. Beneath mm-hmm. all this, I love you so much. I hate you. It, it's because even that the very, very last exchange is well, thanks for taking care of my dog. And he says, anytime. Yeah. And when walks away, it's like, we're, we're enemies, but like, yeah. Yeah, you want me to take care of your dog? Anytime. We're enemies, like, but I'm still going to help take why, care of you. I'm still going to be do the do the right thing. That's <laughs> so good. It's so devastating. And of course, the most amazing, brilliant shot of uh, you know Ms. McCormick in the foreground, looming over, reigning over the beach as these two best friends separate. It's great. She's literally in between the two mm-hmm. of them, like because so she, she's she's center screen, and then the two of them are tiny in the background, obviously, but she's literally dividing yeah. them beautiful all right uh so that gives us a good layout of the structure this is so it's a simple plot structure Uh, it's prototypical as far as the timing but like it it starts out really light and sweet and then gets heavier and heavier and heavier and then gets dark and just gets super brutal in a way that fits so beautifully um so from there, let's let's talk about character. Let's talk about inner conflict. And now inner conflict is just my strategy for uh, kind of peeling apart the different dimensions of a, of a character so that we can identify uh, what is driving them to achieve what they want to achieve and uh, identify also like what the character arc is. And the character arc is what tells us what the themes are. And the character arc is directly connected to the plot. A lot of people think of, you know, the plot is like, you know, the, the fun fight or the, the, the story. Um, and then the character arc is something they just kind of insinuate into the story. But in truth, uh, the, the character arc is the product of, is the interaction of the character with the plot. And the plot is simply the way the character goes about solving the conflict or solving the problems that they want to solve by facing the conflicts they're facing. Um, so the, the plot is always connected to the character arc and the character arc elusi- or reveals the theme. Um, so with that, we break this down into about five different dimensions. First one is the conscious desire. The conscious desire is what the character sets out to do. So in the case of Banshees, what, what would you say? How do you say it? Banshees is how I'd say in America, but. Yeah, Banshee. Yeah. Ban. ban so it's, yeah. Ban. Ban means woman in uh, in irish and she means fairy so she's woman of the fairies banshee that's awesome okay i didn't know that that's really cool and then inisherin means island of ireland correct island of ireland yeah inish is isle in like as an isle in irish yeah so an erin is the irish for ireland so it's island of ireland so even though it's meant to be an island off the coast of ireland Obviously, through giving it that title, he's saying that this yeah. island is indicative of Ireland. Yeah, the whole. title tells you that it's a that it's an allegory. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so what what is the conscious Parik's conscious desire? 
So I had it down as con his conscious desire is to reconcile with Colm, but based on the appropriate verbiage, as you've described it, it should be to earn Colm's respect. Yeah, uh, exactly. I would say, uh, yeah, earn Colm's respect. Exactly. So then the unconscious drive is what fuels the character to achieve this conscious desire. And in Pollock's case, what is, what is driving him to achieve this conscious desire? Um, I think, so based on what's repeated <laughs> in terms of his values, um, and what he's trying and, and, and how his, his values are, um, encouraging him in his strategies to earn Colin's respect. I have it down as that he wants to prove that being nice is enough to be valuable Ooh, I like um, that. because because his whole idea is that he needs to prove to he, he's trying to, to say to column i'm i'm not dull i'm nice nice is good what's wrong with being nice and throughout the whole story he's consistently returning to column and saying you used to be nice wait were you ever nice and he says the question but not but the value he esteems the most seems to be his niceness up until the point where he's driven to doing t t taking a different tact in order and, and he starts to lose that but he his his initial drive is to prove that nice is enough mm. i i actually agree with that uh he wants to be seen as a good nice man so he wants to prove mm -hmm. himself to be seen that way it's it's a very yep. very important drive from from scene to scene being seen as a good nice mm -hmm. man is more sacred to him than just about anything when we first meet mm -hmm. him. And then, if, and then we go to the Achilles heel, which is kind of a belief within that value that is flawed, that he needs to reconcile in order to achieve his objective. What would you say his Achilles heel is? He's dull. He's dull. <laughs> he's, he's dull. His, his niceness, his unconscious drive, if the, if the, if the, the Achilles heel is embedded in the unconscious drive, then him wanting to be nice ends up causing the, the problem between him and Colm that makes Colm not want to spend time with him, which is that he's dull. Okay. So his, his Achilles so heel is So to say he's, he's a dull is kind of a, it's a judgment on him. Like that he, you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. the, it, saying, saying that that's his flaw. But if we identify it as what is a flawed belief that he has, he doesn't believe he's dull. What is a flawed belief that he has that needs to be uh, reconciled through the plot? Like what is the, what does the plot teach him that he believes it, which is no, which is wrong. So it's, the opposite of what we just said. So he, so he wants, okay. If the, if the, con, the, con, the unconscious drive is he wants to be a nice mm -hmm. man. And then the Achilles heel is being nice is not enough. I, I think that's actually a good way of saying it. Um, I phrase this very specifically because he keeps saying, you know, like the conversation, like he's like, uh, I think people think of you as a nice, good man, a good, nice man. This is how people think of you. Mm -hmm. And at the core of that is he wants to be seen as a good man. It's when he's drunk that he loses sense of what other people think of him. And so mm -hmm. because of that, there's this 
critical thought, uh, critical flaw in his belief, which is he's preoccupied with other people's opinion of him. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to be seen as exactly. A good, as he's more being interested in being seen yeah, as a good man rather than yeah. But what do you really feel? What do you care about? If all you care about mm-hmm. is being seen as a good man, you're going to be pretty bland. You're going to be dull. Um, which is what for me. If, if this this episode has been a lesson in anything, it's that verbs are incredibly important, <laughs> right? The specific the specificity of the yeah, it, it says everything. Yeah, because like every single every single uh, take that you've had on it, I don't think is wrong. I think it's actually true. I I think we can just tighten the screw a little bit more to get more specific and dial into it. Because once we understand these dimensions very specifically. Once we understand that, like he's he needs to earn the respect. Why doesn't he respect him? Because he has this belief that uh, that being nice is important. And once he, because he's putting so much emphasis on other people's opinion of him, it, it's mm-hmm. not about being. He's not a. It's not about being a nice person. It's about being seen as a nice person, which goes into a very interesting contradiction. So if that's true, the moral imperative that he has to navigate in order to achieve his goal, the the conflict, the force of antagonism, what would you say that is? That's that's where I struggled. Once we get to the mor- like, this is always where I struggle, Adam, as you know. So yeah. once we get to the moral imperative and the theme, that's where things get. Um, where I, I I guess for me, because there's there's generally always layers and there's different things that you can there's different things that you can pull for i don't think any i think that there's normally more than one thing that you can extract from any given story and so you it's it's nail down one thing and say that that's that's definitively the defining theme is is hard um sometimes for me the moral imperative it's it's super abstract um, the moral imperative is very abstract because you're you have to look at the patterns of behavior and the conflicts they're choosing to engage in and the way they solve it in order to recognize the patterns of, of the moral imperative or the moral sphere. So Mm -hmm. he is, and the moral sphere is primarily embodied by column. If he wants to earn columns respect, then column has certain standards he needs to live up to. So the moral sphere Mm -hmm. that he's navigating is columns, moral values. And if that's true, the way he's going to earn uh, earning his respect is integral to that moral imperative. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's, so I would say to gain mm. Calm's respect, Podrick must become a force to reckon with. He, so okay. the, this is, this is at the core of what is bothering Colm so much. He just talks about, you know, things he finds in his miniature donkey shit or actually his pony. Like, ah, oh, that's yeah, proof you weren't yeah. listening. It's my pony, not my donkey. <laughs> um, right. So, so again, this is why it's an imperative. An imperative is that which you must do to achieve something. And a moral imperative is in this world, this is the thing you must do to survive. And that's, you know, and by world, I mean uh, navigating uh, the moral sphere of columns, respect. Can we narrow that down even more? Probably. What, what do you have in mind? Because if so, he's saying the the conscious desire is to earn, earn Column's mm-hmm. respect. So Column dictates what the moral sphere is. Uh, the underconscious drive is that he wants to be seen as a good man, 
but he but it's that's all about image it's not about who he genuinely is it's the it's the facade that he's creating that he need that he wants the world to see but it's not legitimately mm-hmm. him the achilles heel is that he's preoccupied with other people's opinions which is why he puts that facade up so if we instead of like to say he must become a force to be reckoned with is perfectly accurate but also a little bit on the vague mm-hmm. side if we want to, to really narrow into exactly what we've been saying up to this point with the previous three um the pre- the, the the previous three mm-hmm. points he must surely he must be the real version of himself in order to be interesting enough to get column's attention so it's about re- removing the facade being the real him and the real him isn't nice so he must risk he must risk uh, losing the facade in order to gain columns tr- columns trust the facade is this false mask he wears and you and you even see it in the, there's a there's a, a scene where he goes into columns house and he grabs a mask and he has it and he's like moving around with the mask and he has to that, that mask has to be removed right he needs to get rid of this mask that he's wearing that it of this illusion of being nice in order to as you say, navigate this moral sphere that Colin was created for. Okay, you're stealing some of my later content, but you're dead on. I think you're completely oh. <laughs> dead on. Um, yeah, I think that's a much better articulation of the moral imperative is that this is about authenticity. It's not about... Authenticity. Uh, yeah, it, there you it's go. about um, uh, Paul Rick finding his authenticity and by becoming authentic, he becomes a force to reckon with. And that's what gives mm-hmm. him the respect. If he was just a force to reckon with, but still being false, he wouldn't respect him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But because it's fun. You're right. I agree with you. It, it is more that in order to gain his respect, Podrick must embrace his authenticity, which still sounds a little vague. You're right. Mm-hmm. Force to reckon with is definitely vague, but um, being totally sincere, having a conviction that is authentic to mm-hmm. him, that is no longer preoccupied mm-hmm. with the opinions of others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, fuck it. I'm just going to say, it. I usually save this for the theme part, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, th- this whole idea of, uh, you know, we can get into Jungian themes. There is the, the self and then the persona and the persona are the masks mm-hmm. that we wear that are, you know, uh, that are kind of our personality, the way we portray ourselves, our ego that we present to the world. And even the clothes we choose to wear and all, these yeah, things all of our presentation and our behavior mm-hmm. and our, uh, the moral values that we project to other people. And with young, he's mm-hmm. like, you, you actually need to navigate the, uh, your, your darker self, your shadow self in order to reconcile the, the ego with the self and the, and the self is your actual internal values, your authenticity. And until you can do that, you're going to be hiding behind this persona, this mask. And Paul Rick is like, literally it shows that scene where he walks through to find column and his, his house is empty and he walks through and he sees several different masks hanging on the wall. And what he does is he immediately sees the mask that's scary and intimidating and terrifying. And he just mm. goes around it and avoids it. And then he goes to the goofy, mm. like happy smiley one. He's like, that's my persona. That's what I'm going to put my face behind mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm. it, again, this movie yeah. is fl- not just flawless. It's brilliant. It, it takes really well executed drama and speaks about much larger issues. 
So really great. Um, so themes. Um, so a big part of this is because it's so specific to your culture, I'm almost hesitant to dive too much into theme, but I also want to be able to talk about like, you know, because there's so much culturally that I have to say, I don't, I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up in Ireland. My, uh, you know, uh, a lot of my family comes more from um, Norway. I'm like, you know, 90, 80% uh, Norwegian. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So old, uh, old Viking blood. Um, but, um, <laughs> but are you like six foot four? No, no, I'm not, I'm not super giant or anything. I'm just six one, but, um, <laughs> I'm just six one. I'm five foot 10. Okay. Bro, so you're definitely still a giant. Hey, <laughs> I'm on the short side of tall and the tall side of short. Um, but, uh, but with theme, I, I do think it's important to, so just from identifying these different dimensions and the character arc and the, um, we can still extrapolate a theme without having the full cultural context. The cultural context will fill it in, but me watching this without some of the cultural context will still extrapolate certain themes. And these are some of the themes that this is what I think is a central theme around, uh, the conflict that they're exploring. Uh, and I would say fear of purposeless mortality drives us to war which I think is a little bit of a cheat because at the core of it, this, this mortality is that a banshee is someone that comes and portends of a death. They come and say that a death is coming um, usually to a family. And, you know, I hope you'll explain that better to us. This is my, you know, limited understanding of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, it's all about this mortality, this despair that is driving this fear of purposelessness. Like, what am I doing all this for? Why am I acting like a nice person? Why am I pretending to go along with this? Why am I suffering fools? And then, uh, mm-hmm. and that mortality is what drives this huge conflict. And, mm-hmm. but, but I do think that that is tying directly into the most important aspects of this theme, especially when it gets into uh, what this film I think is really about. And, um, do you have anything else to say about character arc before we dive into what this movie is really about? Character arc. Um, no, I think any, any of the, like, I think we don't touch on, uh, uh, as we get into the, the deeper meaning, I'll, I'll, I'll go through my notes. Um, but no, I think, I think we, as far as the way, the way that we've described Parik, his actions and what he's, what he's really about. Yeah, I think we're. We're okay for, for that. Cool. Very cool. All right. So what this movie is really about, there's – okay. So definitely right off the bat, we know that this is not only just a drama about uh, two friends having falling out and how it transforms their lives. We also know that this is an allegory. Now, an allegory is a metaphor extended into a narrative or in other words, a metaphor that faces conflict and uh, is drawn through the entire narrative. So it's, it's a way of telling, telling a story, but talking about a bigger, different concept. Now, allegories can be political. They can be historical. Uh, they can be spiritual. The way we use allegories is that we, we find different metaphors, apply them to certain other concrete imagery, um, and then kind of tap that for meaning. So it's a way of talking about it, having a kind of judgment about a certain maybe historical event 
and saying, this is what the mechanisms that are driving the subtext beneath it or the, the emotions. Um, but so in this case, like so, uh, in, in classical exegesis, which is, you know, originally started out as kind of a, a academic or a scholarly way of discussing scripture and later became kind of the, the foundation for literary interpretation. There was these kind of uh, four dimensions of uh, the, the Latin, which is, you know, the, the word teaches the deed. Um, the metaphor teaches the meaning, the allegory teaches uh, the purpose, and then the anagogue teaches what we can draw from it, what it means to us personally. Um, and because of that, there are different kinds of allegories. And I think what's present in this movie is the, the drama on the surface is the drama of the friends falling out. Then there is a historical and a, uh, a historical allegory about specific events that took place. And then beneath that, I think is an anagogical metaphor, which is talking about our time, like why this story is being told to us now, why this filmmaker wants to tell this story now, what is it we need to learn from it? Um, because just saying, well, this is an allegory for something in the past. It's useful. It's enlightening. But what the really powerful resonant thing about this film is that it's speaking to something that we're dealing with today. And this is what I think story can really, the most powerful thing story can do. Um, so at the core of it, uh, this movie is definitely an allegory uh, for the Irish civil war, which took place between June 28th, 1922 to May 24th, 1923. So a year of Irish civil war. And because I'm lucky enough to have a real Irishman talking to me. Please tell us what the Irish Civil War was all about. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I should probably start by assuming that some people at home know extremely little about this side of the pond and the way things are, even geographically. It might be a little bit vague. So let, just, me, let me show, I, I also let me, let me show my cards too. I would count myself as woefully ignorant of the Irish civil war. Like I know the bare minimum. So speak to me as if I know absolutely nothing about it. I'll ask a bunch of questions, but the truth of it is, is like this directly affects your life in the real world and the way you were raised. So the values, I might know some historical facts, but the way you develop your values is so much more important. So I want to, I want to learn from you exactly like what the Irish civil war is and how you interpret it and how that informs this movie. Sure. Okay. The way, so uh, geographically, the way, the way that we're positioned, obviously Ireland is an island that is off the West coast of uh, mainland Europe and right next to us between mainland Europe and ourselves is great Britain. Now the way that the, that the, the map would look today uh, if, if you if you look closely, the, the island of Great Britain is made up of three countries. The most northern country is Scotland. Then you have England uh, as the, the the majority of of the of the the island, and then there's a small uh, western country there called Wales. So three countries within within the one island. And then if you look over to ourselves in Ireland, Ireland is split up into two countries. You have the Republic of Ireland, which is the majority of the south. Ireland is split up into into thirty two counties. 26 of them belong to the Republic of Ireland, which is all the south southern counties and a couple of northern counties. There are six counties in the north that are Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is 
uh, of the jurisdiction of the United Kingdom. The mm. United Kingdom is all of Great Britain, so the three countries that I mentioned before, and Northern Ireland. They all make up the United Kingdom, which is why some people don't understand the difference between Great Britain and the United mm. Kingdom. Great Britain is three countries, all the countries on the island of mm. Britain. And then the United Kingdom includes those three countries and Northern Ireland. That's the way that we that the that geographically we look today in terms of the way the territories are, are split up. The reason being, the reason why th th uh, there's a northern part of, of our island that belongs to the, the, the British is because we were, for a very long period of time, we were occupied by England. So, so um, the, the English came over, took over the country, made us subjects to them, that all of their lords owned our land, and we were basically serving them for a very, very long period of time. Up until the point where, and this is when Ireland is all just Ireland, right? But Ireland belonged essentially to to the British. Uh, it, there, there was a, a period of time where there, where the Irish decided that we were going to fight back. This is like very much long story short, but there was a period of time where the Irish decided to fight fight back, and we uh, we went to war with the British, and ultimately a there there, there had to be a, a conversation between. Uh, the British and Ireland about how there was going to be a resolution, and there were uh, essentially that the what would, the British decided to um, offer us was we will give you twenty six counties back, and we will continue to occupy um, the nor the northern counties of Ireland. So essentially, initially it was it was going to be a, it's the, the it was going to be a free state. Ireland was going to be under the jurisdiction of uh, Britain still technically, but we were going to be uh, be considered free to uh, to to be our, our our own authority, but we would still consider ourselves subject to uh, uh, king and country. Um, and, and essentially, what, what what ended up happening there was our, our civil war happened, where we were no longer fighting the British. We ended up fighting ourselves over whether or not we were happy with the terms of that agreement. Mm -hmm. So you ended up ha having people who were known as the uh, the free staters. So the people, the free staters, were the ones who decided that they were happy enough with the terms that they were that it was a step in the right direction of freedom. That if we accepted the terms, that at some point in the future we could still start tiptoeing our way into complete Irish sovereignty. And so, as much as as much as the, the they they we they ended up being antagonists to what are what many people will will uh, know of as the IRA, the uh, the Irish Republican Army. The Irish Republican Army and the Free Staters both had the same goal. A free Ireland was ultimately the goal, but it was the way in which we were going to achieve that freedom was what where the real dispute was. So the Free Staters said, yes, we'll accept the agreement and slowly over time we'll get more and more of our freedom. Whereas the IRA said, no, if we accept this now, we're not going to ultimately get what we want at the end of the day. If we're going to, while we have lost, we've, we've shed so much blood in this war, while we have done so much to try and achieve our freedom, we need to make sure that we are not submitting to them in any way, shape or form. We are, we, we want to be a free Ireland now. Um, so yeah, ultimately what ended up happening then was obviously a treaty was signed. And, uh, and, and what did happen inevitably was that, that as soon as the treaty was signed and very, uh, not too long after that, obviously you you got, you're, you're getting into world war two territory. And so during world war two, we were able to demonstrate our, our autonomy in the sense that we didn't, we weren't, we were considered a neutral 
state, right? We were considered neutral during World War II. And even though very evidently we were on the side of the Allies and we were, we were involved in helping the Allies to win that war, we demonstrated our autonomy um, to the degree that we, we then, once World War II ended, we instituted our own constitution, which stated that we were completely free and independent from, from uh, the UK. And so the, 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 the 26 counties that don't include Northern Ireland, completely free, independent, not under the thumb of England anymore, even though what they wanted in the, in the treaty was to say that we were still subject to the, their monarchy. Our constitution that we instituted said, no, that's not the case. We're completely free and independent. So that's the situation that we find ourselves in, ourselves in today. That's, uh, so since then, 26 counties were in the constitution um, uh, referred to as the Republic of Ireland. And that's why Northern Ireland is separate from us. And even to, and, and to your point in terms of how it affects things to this day, there was a long period of time afterwards where we referred to as the Troubles, where we were trying to get the we uh, there were there were Irish pe- people who were trying to get the, those six counties back. There was a lot of infighting um, even after the civil war was over. There was still uh, wars going on trying for where people were not happy with Ireland being divided in two, wanting to get those six counties back and. If, yeah, for there was uh, an awful lot of damage done during that time. You know, you, you've you've probably heard of um, the bombings that took place in Northern Ireland. There's there's a, a hotel in Northern Ireland that's the most bombed location in all of Europe. Really? Um, and so yeah, and so it, it, it there for a very long time after that there was still um, there's still unrest. And now that we find ourselves in a position where Britain have exited Europe. So we were, we were all a part of Europe at one stage. So we were all under the thumb of the EU um, uh, in terms of uh, governmentally. So it was sort of like we were all part of the one big package deal anyway, but Britain subsequently have left the EU in the last couple of years. And so now we find ourselves in a position where the debate is happening again, where do the people in the UK, do the people in, in Northern Ireland, do they, you know, there are people there who want, who, who consider themselves, consider themselves Irish and there are people who consider themselves unionist, mm. but now they're in the position of having to debate. Okay. We consider ourselves British, but we consider ourselves part of the UK, but do we want to join them in leaving the EU or do we want to remain in the EU? And then the conversation starts up all over again. Well, then why don't the six counties of Northern Ireland become part of a United yeah, Ireland? What, the conversation. What's the currency in Ireland? Uh, it's, we use the oh, euro. Oh, you do use the euro. We okay. use the euro. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're completely like our, Ireland is one hundred percent all in on the EU in every conceivable way. Our, our our government is subject to you know the people ruling in from there's from Belgium who don't even know who who we are as a as a culture. Like it's a, it's a sort of an unusual situation. It's not you people would, would try and. Um, make the comparison between the United States and Europe, but it, but to be fair, it, it's 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 a much much uh, different situation in the sense that within the United States, I feel like your individual states have more autonomy than we do as countries within the mm-hmm. EU. You have your own laws within each state, and you yes, you have this federal head, but at least when when the, your that the, when the Fed are are making decisions, they're making decisions presumably understanding the entire culture of all of the the United States of America, whereas within Europe, 
You could, you know, it, it could be argued. Within Europe, every single country is so different. We are vastly different from one another. Our culture is so different. different. Languages. Our, the people yeah. are different. Our, our values, everything, values, beliefs. So it, it is an unusual situation that to, 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 you know, it's not quite the same comparison when we have the EU ruling from the center of Europe and Ireland out, out on the fringes. Um, you know, it's 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 unusual that we're that we're having our sort of lifestyle, our laws and stuff dictated to us from someone somewhere far off. Mm. Yeah, um, you, you'd almost think that Irish people would would not be so keen on the idea, considering that we, our, we, our next door neighbors were ruling us for a while, and we weren't we weren't we weren't too hot yeah. on that. But yeah, so there's basically there's a lot of um, there's a lot of discontent in terms of people's opinions on who should be ruling, who shouldn't be ruling, who, who owns what. And yeah, that probably will, it's not going to end anytime, anytime soon. That was a great uh, overview. My, my big question is how does the Banshees of Inishirin relate to that Irish civil war? Why set the movie in the Irish civil war? So I would be remiss not to point out the fact that that when um, Martin McDonough was asked this question himself, he made a point of of, of saying that he he only wanted to talk about the allegory loosely mm. because he wanted people to interpret it themselves, mm. and he it, he says basically the way that he wrote it was in such a way that it wasn't necessarily everything was a like for like for something else. Now, us watching it as spectators as uh, as keen uh, uh, you know viewers and and purveyors of film we we would we can read an awful lot and we can we, to, to the degree where you might even think yeah he's he's just he's saying an awful lot less than than what he means because there you can see a lot of of juxtaposition you can see a lot of comparisons between the relationship between Porrick and Column and the relationship between the free staters and the IRA yeah. during the civil can war can i throw in something real quick um, so um, when when we're talking about allegory yep. there's this question of purity um classically speaking mm-hmm. when it comes to like the academic uh deconstruction of allegory or uh exegesis. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there, there are pure allegories where, um, it's referred to pure when the metaphor is a one-to-one ratio to what the metaphor represents. And then there is, you know, looser or uh, contaminated or less pure allegories where they're just saying metaphorically, this kind of represents the relationship, you know, like, uh, Paul Rick and column kind of feel a bit like the, the IRA and the the free staters. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it makes sense that he doesn't want to keep it pure because there's this really interesting tension between allegory and drama. Drama is the emotional engagement and how you solve the story. It's, it's the entertainment value. It's the first layer of what is happening in the conflicts. Lots of stories when they focus too much on allegory, that's when you start getting plot holes. That's when you start doing things that like, I don't believe that character would do that because the stakes don't quite add up. And it's like, well, but it fits the allegory. And as soon as you do that, almost always you kick people out of the dramatic narrative and which cheats the allegory because the allegory fails to resonate is true because you're sitting there trying to think about dramatic narrative uh, when they're having a discussion about allegory, like uh, the movie us by uh, Jordan Peele, 
is a great example. I really liked the movie, but it did feel like the allegory at one point took a front seat and started driving while the drama sat in the back Mm -hmm. and said, yeah, none of this quite, none of this works dramatically, but it all works allegorically. And it's very, very difficult to tell a pure allegory because of, because of that. The allegory tends to take over the dramatic narrative. This is one of those very rare movies where every single shot is teeming with dimensions of allegory without ever compromising the dramatic narrative. So, mm-hmm. so that little digression. Yeah. But um, So back to why, this, why the Civil War – what does this tell us? Like setting it in the Civil War, what does it tell us about it? Why this story? Well, the the easy conclusion to draw from what from what we're seeing, uh, based on on what, what I described, the difference between the Free State and, and the IRA. With the IRA, it was an all or nothing scenario for them, and for the Free Staters, they just wanted peace, and so the the immediate sort of distinction when you're when you're seeing this friendship between these two these two friends um identifying which one represents which you're seeing um so porik represents the peaceful one the one the the the, the more uh the one who just wants to to for everything the to appeaser. just be normal and be okay yeah. the appeaser yeah. and then you have the ira represented by column essentially who is willing to cut off his own fingers for the sake of achieving his goal, which you could consider. And again, this is, you know, this is really, um, it's, it's delicate ter- territory to be, to be for, for, you know, especially for him to have gone into in this film. Um, so you, when you have Irish people bombing their own country in order to try and free their own country, mm-hmm. you suppose you could consider it cutting off your own fingers in order to achieve the goal that you're, you're ultimately trying to achieve. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the very direct reference and, and evidence that there's uh, as to which character represents which side of the argument in, in, in the civil war. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I don't believe, I don't believe it was a pure allegory and I don't think it needs to be. I, I, what the story no. is about is largely about. Um, so I think it, it begins, it, it begins with the Irish civil war and then goes on to a much deeper thing about human nature an allegory for human nature. Mm-hmm. And this, that's why I think this film is 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 kind of using the the Irish Civil War as a kind of reference point or a jumping off point to talk about the nature of humanity, and that's where I think we get into these like kind of um, it's stories that outlast like the the context, you know, like you know mm-hmm. the the War of Troy still resonates with us today because it speaks to very human frailties. And this movie speaks mm. beautifully to human frailties. It speaks not just stereotypically, which is culturally relative metaphors, but archetypically, which is uh, universal metaphors that resonate with us all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I've, I've got some. Uh, so one of the one of the things that remi- that stuck out to me a lot in watching this movie several times was that uh, the phrase, you know, "Do you suffer fools gladly?" And it goes back to, you know, that's from second Corinthians eleven nineteen where Paul writes this epistle to the Corinthians. And, uh, he's, he's basically saying like, look, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm trying to prepare you like, like a father would prepare his virgin daughter to present to a groom. 
and you guys are, mm-hmm. you know, acting like you're too good for this. And like, you know, the gospel of Christ is very simple and you're trying to make it complex. So you come off as mm-hmm. behaving wise. So you're suffering oh, fools see, gladly yeah. seeing yourself to be wise. So like mm-hmm. a bunch of you are talking a lot of gibberish just so you look like you're intelligent. But the reality is, is that you're making things way more complex than they need to be. And I, I think that ties into this kind of universal theme of, of this idea where Colum kind of has this, um, he had, he has like the kind of, uh, what they would what like divine jealousy or godly jealousy, uh, where he's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't want to suffer fools anymore. Podrick is dull mm-hmm. and dull. I think is a very important word, especially when it comes to that, because, you know, he wants him to be sharp, like a knife. You're dull mm-hmm. means you're inoffensive. You can't hurt. You can't attack. You can't fight. And when he gains his own conviction, he becomes sharp. He becomes a weapon. And he's, and mm-hmm. that, that weapon carries on and casts a shadow for generations. Um, so what's interesting, I think, is this, this really big question of attention of this. This goes into the human, uh, the, question of eternal questions about humanity of, you know, is it, is it better to leave a legacy where you're remembered or is it better to not even care about legacy and enjoy the people you have in front of you? And what I love about that is this movie really powerfully explores the fact that both men are preoccupied with the opinions of others. They're both obsessed with that persona, the masks, one of them is the mm-hmm. opinions of people they will never meet. Colum is obsessed with being relevant and important in the lives of people he'll never meet. In fact, he'll be dead before most people can appreciate him, which gets into the question mm-hmm. of why are you making art? And then Paulrick represents, I make, I'm behaving this way because it makes me happy now. No one cares. No one remembers Mozart. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, Mozart, who cares? Where's he from? What's his name? Whatever. I want to be here having fun with the people I care about. And I think this movie beautifully articulates that, that inner conflict that we feel where it's like, I get that feeling of like, how do I judge the value of my life's work? What have I done with my life? You know, me speaking as an artist, you know, I've, I've worked on a lot, I've created a lot of art. I, I would say like maybe, two to 5% of everything I produced as an artist is ever going to be seen by anybody. And the stuff I'm most proud of, the stuff that I've really given myself over represents a very, very small amount of the work I've done. And, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that's why it makes me so happy to have people like responding so well to like things like this podcast and the storybooks, because it, I, I see other people giving me feedback, telling them that, you know, this is valuable for them. And that, that does mean a lot to me. And this is something that can live on beyond me. At the same time, artistically, I'm very invested. Is I, I don't believe you can do something great if you're just thinking legacy. I think the truly great artists are the ones that love the process, that become so enamored with the process that they find their joy in the moment. And that's what's great about Colum is he's depriving himself. This obsession with legacy is depriving himself of having literally the hands to enjoy the process of the experience. And so it's, it's a great artistic debate that goes back and forth. Like, you know, is anything I'm doing 
have any effect on the culture? Will it ever even enter the cultural conversation versus does that even matter if I'm making art that makes me happy? And it, it's a, it's a great yeah. conversation. Like, where do you land on that? How does that affect where you make I can art? speak direct. I can speak directly to it in the sense that I obviously living in Ireland, it's a very small um, industry here. Um, you know, the, the, there's not an awful lot to, to, um, uh, not, not a lot of opportunities, put it that way. So it's, it's been constantly been asked of me since I got into film in the first place. People are always saying, when are you going to Hollywood? When are you going to Hollywood? When are you going to Hollywood? And, and I've always kind of maintained, look, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I, I, my family are here. I, I, I would never miss a moment with with my parents especially um you know they're, they're still with me by the grace of god and um i'm not going to go and spend their last years living over in america trying to achieve a dream when the most important moments to me in my life are the ones that you get to share with the people that you that you have around you that are that mean the most to you that have the most value to everything about your existence. And like, you know, my parents mean more to me than anybody else in, in, in the world. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, that's, a, it, it, I've already answered that, that question in my own life that, you know, I, I could definitely have made the, made a point of going and trying to achieve my dream, my dreams elsewhere. And it may or may not have been an easier road than what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. But whatever whatever road that I'm on, I've made my choice. I've chosen to be with the with the people that I care about, and whatever happens as a result of the things that I'm trying to attempt to do while in this particular part of the world, that's that's going to be what it is. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, if my name doesn't live on, that's okay, because I'm I'm because no one can pronounce. I'm doing what I feel matters. <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is they won't pronounce it correctly <laughs> they won't pronounce it correctly exactly well i i don't agree with you i think you're wrong about what you're saying uh as far as like uh you're doing everything that that i think great artists need to do which is you're making it like most people talk about mm -hmm. making art lots of people talk about making art if you finish a screenplay you're in the 90th percentile or how does that work? 10 percent mm. You're in the minority. Very, very few people even just finish a screenplay and then take that screenplay into production even fewer and then take that production and finish it even fewer and then get distribution, even smaller pool. And it's that mm -hmm. it's the, it's the doers, it's the finishers, it's the completer. That's the, like my mantra over the last few years is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the complete. And that, that's something <laughs> like that. I've been, you know, I've taken on because I, you know, I, I will throw myself into projects and I will just labor them and labor them and labor them, trying to make them perfect and at the expense of completing the project in some cases. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, you know, it's part of the reason, like even podcasting, you know, for, I, I stutter, I uh, lose track, I get into digressions. I'm very uncomfortable on camera, but even just sitting here with you having a conversation, but also having this weird camera looking alien thing staring at me. Like it's, uh, I, I, I ha you have to let go. And this is the time where we, yeah, where yeah. people are embracing it. So I think this is our, this is a good time, but I also disagree with you. I personally want you to move. I either want you to move to LA cause you know, <laughs> move your whole family to LA. Let's make some movies out here. Let's do some indie shit. It'd be amazing. Or, like you said, let's move to Portugal and have like a start up our own little, uh, 
artistic uh, movement out there. That'd be fun. Yeah. A little colony. Yeah. Off camera, Adam and I were talking about moving to Portugal and making movies out there. So uh, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's make that I happen. I love that. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah. So this is <laughs> the Youngian persona. Uh, just quick reference. Oh, so then uh, there's this one dimension. I don't think it's it's quite as interesting as some of the other stuff you were talking about. But I do think it's, you know, it gets into the anagogue of why are we talking about it now? And he, he like, uh, McDonough put some really interesting little scenes in there that suggest that he's talking about something that is very specific to the time we're living in, which is, you know, 2023 or 2022 mm -hmm. but relevant to this moment and uh, it's yeah. it's little things like this moment where you know shaban is reading and she's reading he's like how what's what do you think of the book and she's like it's sad but she says it in this way of like it makes her happy to feel something it makes her happy to feel sad yeah and his response is well yeah. you know you should read not sad shaban else you might get sad because we don't want you to be sad, like sad. you know <laughs> and then this also this moment where she's like, do you have any news? Do you have any news? Which kind of speaks to the gossipy thing. You know, that's, that's a human thing. We all want to have gossip, but I think she also represents this idea of like the way news and stories, we all crave them. And it's, it's, this is when it becomes this universal allegory or this allegory that's specific to our time, which is this, this idea of, um, some people want to hear certain news and they only want to hear the news that agrees with them or tells them what they want to hear. And if they hear something that is maybe confrontational or points out contradictions that they don't want to see, then they shut down and say, no, that's, that's shite news. This is good news. This is shite news. And there's that, that yeah, allegorical yeah. distinction of like, well, you're on that side of the Island. The other side of the Island isn't bringing good news. So there's this kind of tribalism that's subtly hinted at, and this division yeah. between the two best friends speaks to that kind of tribalism, which is, you know, tribalism is the product of, of sharing a common enemy. When you have an enemy and people share that enemy, you join that tribe and then hierarchies emerge, mm -hmm. things like that. And obligations. Yeah. And yeah, no, it, it, the fact that he, the information that the information that Park shares with her is, it, it, I mean, it's certainly not shite news. Mm -hmm. Like it's the the so in Ireland, the police force are called the Garda. We don't call them police. We I learned that from your movie. Garda, because yeah. All right, nice yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we say it's on Garda Shiakana, which means the guardians of the light. Oh. So that's what we call our police force. And so the Garda, who the guard in Garda is uh, Gardi is plural. Garda is the force, and guard is one of them. So the guard that's in um the in this movie uh patter which means peter in irish he is he's he's beat his his son up and so when porrick shares that news that's certainly not dull news it's absolutely not it's not it's not dull it's not boring but in one context you could take it as well it's not really news because the the guards are abusive anyway and you know what how, how could that be news to me but i mean it, of course it is news i mean like he's you know he's beating up his child it's a, it's a very violent thing to have done but she's saying it's no news because as you pointed out it's not news that she wants to yeah. hear it's not it's not something that is amening with her own worldview and 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 something that she that's going to uh, enfranchise her in, in any way so she's um she's turning her nose up at it even though it's perfectly legitimate for you know so it's, it's something that you would you would ordinarily balk at and she's like 
this, this means nothing to me. I don't I think it's that's awful. Mm. So yeah, it makes sense that it's like it's a it it, 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 it today more than ever. I'm a stutterer as well. And today more than ever, uh, that that is relevant in the sense that we're we're living in a fake news generation, and people only want to hear what is part of their own echo chamber. Yeah, and and then combined with that, that that kind of separation of like this is the narrative that I'll accept, and this is the narrative that I reject. It it, it ties into it. I don't want to go too deep into it, but it is driving it's having real consequence in the way I would, I would say everyone across the world is having it, which, you know, of course, social media, you almost can't have an allegory that isn't talking about the way social media and the internet and uh, is a directly affecting the way we communicate with each other and the, and the tribes and alliances mm-hmm. and the narratives that we're engaging. So again, I, I think this movie goes way deeper than that. I still think we're skimming the surface, but I think that's a, that's a good kind of, cross-section on it did you want to say something about um about the name meanings and how it might relate to uh to the metaphors yeah absolutely now, there i think that uh, the, the, the i think it is important to look at the names just for the sake of i i i i believe that a lot of artists choose to name their characters based on what the, the background of the names mm-hmm. and i think that there may be something to glean from it but i think in particular with this it's more to do with the, with the connection with the banshee because the banshee which as i pointed out like ban ban means woman she means fairies so it's woman of the fairies and the banshee is a a fairy that is basically a, 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 a it comes in the, in the form of a woman who screams uh, to warn of an incoming a forthcoming death mm-hmm. in a particular family banshees are very much connected to families every family has a specific banshee especially if the family is 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 grand or noble or has some sort of prominence within a community so it's not like there's just one banshee wandering out there screaming whenever someone's going to die. Families have specific banshees. A lot of the families will know their banshee by name. Mm. So wow. I think the fact that, the fact that that is the case, and 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 you have um, you know having a banshee in a story, uh, I think it is important to identify that you're, you've got a, a you know who is she actually attached to? Is she attached to the entire family of? the island so to speak is it the community that she's attached to because it's such a small island and they're also so tightly knit or is she connected to specific families based on 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 their names um and so um we have porik sulawan uh porik is the irish for for patrick uh sulawan is actually if you've ever heard have you ever heard the name sullivan yeah Sulawan is Sullivan, but it's just in the Irish language. Okay. And Sula means I, and Sulawan is the pronunciation, but it's actually Sul Dove on. So Dove means black, or uh, you, we also use it in Irish, we use it to mean dark as well. So it can mean black or dark. So it's basically what it is, is it's dark eyes. Mm. Sullivan means dark eyes. And so uh, it's, it's uh, Patrick means father or nobleman with the dark eyes. Um, Siobhan is the, is the sister then of the same family and Siobhan, the BH in Irish, you don't say B, it's not Siobhan, it's Siobhan, it's like a V. Okay. So Siobhan 
um, Siobhan Sulawan is then, uh, it's God is gracious with the dark eyes. So it's, I don't, uh, whether or not we have, whether or not we, the, the, so the Sulawan family is the, it's the only family we see directly interact with Mrs. McCormick, right? We don't really see Mrs. McCormick one-to-one interact with anybody else outside of those two. Whenever she's on, on screen, it's generally talking to them. She's yeah, in their right. house. She meets, she, she meets him on the street. So is, is she there? Um, is she, is she there Banshee, the Banshee of the Sullivan family? Wait, quick. So quick question. Uh, when, uh, so in the movie, um, the, the song that Colin's per- composing is he says, I'm, I'm calling it the Banshees of Inishirin. And then Paul Rick responds, mm-hmm. well, there are no Banshees in Inishirin. So, yeah, and he says, I just like the, t- the double SH. So why have that line? And what what is that? Why call it the Banshees of Inishirin, the movie? Um, so... Hmm. Obviously, the Inish Aran is directly just just related to Ireland because, as we as we pointed out, Inish means Isle. Era is Ireland in Irish, so it's just it's referring but to. But we literally have a woman Banshee. showing up with a you know in dressed like death, saying portending yeah. the death of someone, like prophesying. Which is an interesting way to to have portrayed her because the Banshee is never portrayed to 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 be having some kind of crook. Oh, okay. Um, she's not. She doesn't. She doesn't bring death. She announces death. So she isn't death, yeah. right? So it's it's a it's a strange way to have kind of illustrated her in a sense. I suppose when you think about it, it's it's not like a scythe like you would imagine death having, yeah. right? Death would have a scythe. It's a crook, so it's more like a shepherd's crook. So she's like leading, mm. you know, the way a shepherd would lead the sheep. It's like she's she's basically guiding people to um, identify that a tragedy is about to occur, a loss is about to occur. And basically shepherding people through or, you know, it, it, toward uh, dealing with that particular issue. So the Banshees of Inisherin, the title of it, if we you know, obviously Colm says it's, it's, it's a throwaway thing because he goes, I just like the two double SH sounds. But but if we go deeper and we assume that Martin is using it for a reason, it's it's talking about shepherding, um, shepherding the people of the island to being able to accept the death that is about to befall them. Mm. See, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Some kind of- uh, there's that, there's also that line where Colm says, um, he's like, I don't think the Banshees scream anymore. I think they silently announce themselves yeah, yeah. in different ways. And, uh, and yes. to me, that's, that's what I think is talking. This is why thematically this you know, this is why I drew this fear of the fear of purposeless mortality. So mortality is this, mm-hmm. this idea like Colm is feeling he's obsessing over death. He's having an existential crisis and this obsession mm-hmm. over death is he's starting to ask the big questions is, is anything I'm doing having any impact in the world around me? Am I, am mm-hmm. I going to change the world of legacy or should I just be focusing on having a nice pint at two o'clock? And this, uh, this this kind of basically announcement that death is coming, death is coming, death is coming. Everywhere they look, they're seeing all of these metaphors of death looming over them. Column in particular, he's obsessing over it, which is where this despair comes from. Yeah. And, and but if the it, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, no, go on. So you're on a oh, roll. Oh, yeah. So so my my thought was that if you look at the the larger, not specific to the Irish conflict, but more specific to the human conflict, um, this idea that, you know, obsessing over death is like we need purpose. And it's this I'm really concerned about legacy and purpose and living this empty life uh, is he's railing against it to the point where he's like sabotaging himself. And that's ultimately what causes this massive conflict. And the conflict is what divided them. And, you know, there's that constant refrain of like, you know, God bless you, whatever you're fighting for, you know, to the people who are fighting, it means everything. That distinction is literally, they're putting their lives on the line for it on either side. But to them on Inishirin, they're, they're saying, you know, what, whatever the reason, I don't know what side I'm on. I'm willing to watch a good hanging is a good hanging, you know, a good execution is a good execution. Um, mm -hmm. but, but this idea is like column is suddenly kind of infected with this concern of like, I need purpose. And if I don't have purpose, my life adds up to nothing and I feel filled with despair. And that's what ends up causing this massive conflict. That's what informs every scene before and after that. Okay. Let me, let me, let me pitch something else. Okay. So that, that's, that scene you just discussed in terms of him, he, he said that it was better when we were fighting the British, mm -hmm. right? When we, when we weren't fighting ourselves, it was better when we were all together just fighting the British. What if the Irish fighting the British is the analogy of death external mm -hmm. and the Irish fighting the Irish is analogy of death internal. It's an internal death. It's you, a part of you dying to yourself. Wow. And that's, fur that's further illustrated. So Colm is obsessed with the physical death. He's concerned. He's concerning himself with the death of of his physical body. I need to do something to, in order to live live long into the future because my physical body is going to die. Mm -hmm. But if the conflict between Ireland within Ireland is talking about your the conflict within oneself, I'm part of you having to having to die for the other self to 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 thrive. That ties in a little bit with the idea of the banshee being tied connected to the family because if you think about if she only portends death for the Sulawans. Then it's got nothing to do with with uh, with Colin potentially dying. He's 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 an overinflated sense of self. It's got nothing to do with him. It's not his. It's not his banshee. Yeah. It doesn't even have anything to do with Dominic dying, because if you consider Dominic, Dominic is, is a tertiary not tertiary character. He's a secondary character, but he's he's even the way that he's 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 almost killed off screen. He is killed yeah. off screen, right? You see you see his body, but you don't see him die. Wow. And and his death is sort of like a throwaway line. As well, although it's it's for us watching it at home, it's intense because this character that we liked is dead. Boric just says it as though it's not it's not as big a deal. He was more emotional when his when his donkey mm -hmm. died, right? And so we have so if the banshee is not talking about Colum's death because Colum doesn't die, she's not talking about Dominic's death because Dominic's not a Sullivan, a Sullivan. But she, when he, when Por when she said, when the banshee says to Porik, a death is coming to the island, a death is coming to the island, and then he says, a death, and she goes, maybe two deaths, mm. maybe meaning, you could potentially consider the donkey a death mm. within the family mm -hmm. because the donkey's kind of like yeah. family, but it's not human and it's not it's not a solo one, so maybe two deaths, and the one death, the main death is Porik's death. Porik dies to himself. The facade dies. The image that he has placed over his face, I'm the nice yeah. guy, that has yeah. died. And let me also, let so me let whole... me interject because I totally agree with you. Dom represents yeah. everything Porik is afraid of becoming. He doesn't want to be the village mm. idiot 
And what Colm has done mm-hmm. to him makes him feel like, oh no, everybody looks at me the way I look at Dom. But from the yeah, moment yeah. that he decides that he gets his conviction, that's the death of the Dom in him. Absolutely. And when, when and when Dom, even when Dom discovers that Parik has done something nasty and mean, that's when Dom completely separates himself from him. He walks away from him at that moment when he when he when he tells him, "Oh, I told this guy that his his father died so that he'd go away." And then but Dom is like. That's probably the meanest thing I've ever heard in my life. Dom leaves him at that moment and they never see each other yeah. again. So it's like, yeah. it's like the commitment. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. He's, Dom, no longer, he's like, you're is, not concerned with being Dom nice. Remains, I'm seeing is, you for who you are. And the, yeah. the, the village idiot is saying, I'm seeing you for who you are. And I'm, I'm no longer part of it. I'm no longer part of you. And separates. Yeah. The last yeah. claim to, to try and have a piece of life is to declare his love to, to Siobhan. Siobhan. Siobhan, yeah, yeah. It, wow that's great yeah that's man yeah that's what i mean this film is you can keep mining and I, it just keeps bringing more to it and again i you know mm-hmm. i would love to one day like sit down mcdonough and have a conversation with him about this because it's uh, to see how much of this is intentional and how much of it is just instinct and gut because i do think you mm-hmm. know writers who are really tuned into their instincts, who have a broad sense of curiosities are able to, to, to invoke uh, metaphors and allegories that they're not aware of and still make it really mm-hmm. resonant in this case, because of the language and because of the metaphors he's overtly choosing, I think it's very deliberate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really. Good. I think a lot of the, when, when you look at the other names that were chosen for the other characters, well, and how they represent their personalities, I think it makes it even more clear that there's a reason why he's, he's selected these certain names. Cause for example, column Doherty column means dove and Doherty means hurtful. Uh, so it's oh, really dove. intriguing to kind of have those juxtaposing sort of imagery, right? A dove is also a symbol of the spirit. Yeah. So it could be the spirit of hurt of hurtfulness. Or it can be juxtaposing the like dove being like a, a light, soft, harmless thing, innocence versus pain and the duality. Um, so I, I don't think that that's that's a mistake. I, I also um, Dominic means belongs to the Lord. Mm. Kearney means warlike. Now Dominic is the son of Pater Kearney. Pater means Peter in English, which means rock. Yeah. And then Doherty means warlike. So he's a warlike rock. And this is the, the, the hard ass policeman, yeah. right? The guard. And so it's interesting that he's chosen, he's chosen those. And um, McCormick, by the way, Mrs. McCormick, McCormick is a, is the, uh, McCormick is a, a family name that comes from originally a, 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 a Christian name, which means charioteer, someone who rides a chariot. So someone who is like, so this could be someone who potentially is, it could be, could be someone who's going to war or become someone who kind of rides a chariot to, as like, um, I, I'm, I'm, the word taxi is coming to mind, but it's not, it's not the appropriate word, but someone who's, you know, you, 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 you're, you're gathering someone into your chariot and you're leading them somewhere. So or, I think or that a there's carrier like, of news. It could be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Which fits with the Banshee and also fits with the theme of like uh, certain narratives being embraced while other narratives are rejected. That's interesting. Yeah. God, that's great. So there's a lot of depth to the, the to the names that I think, I don't, I don't think that, the, that it's, that, you know, it's there for, for no reason. Yeah. And 
even the idea of like the dark eyes where there's like there's something that like the eyes are being covered like the eyes of the windows to the soul like the truth that's behind there is is being is being obscured by darkness yeah. and that that needs to kind of fall away maybe um but certainly the fact that it's the family name i think and it's referenced so often like sulawan 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 over and over and over again they don't even just refer to them by their by their christian names you know it's constantly referring calling them by their full name referencing the family mm-hmm. i don't think that's i don't think that that's a mistake or that's you know it's there for no reason when the legend of the banshee has to do with the families having a yeah, I was gonna banshee, say, so i think the banshee is uh, like he refers to like uh what is it call him sunny larry like he refers to him by his full name is that is that common in ireland or yeah, a, a lot, in Ireland, sometimes we don't refer to each other by our, our, our Christian names at all. You will often, especially in the countryside, it was the same here in Dublin for me. A lot of the time, my friends would call me Cahill, but especially if they were from the from the countryside. Most of my, my countryside friends don't call me Adam. They've never called me Adam. Mm-hmm. They'll always call me, uh, call me Cahill. I'm, I, I'm, I'm Cahill to a significant number of my, of my friends. from the That's country. funny. I always call you Cahill um, because I'm Adam and I'm literally friends with three other yeah. Adams. Like, so my <laughs> best friends are also called Adam, which is really confusing and frustrating whenever we're all hanging out. So <laughs> I guess you're, you're part yeah. of that family. That's why we, we all go by like Cahill or, or that's why I refer to you as Cahill, but. No, yeah, 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 and like I, 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 I call, as I say, I call myself Cahill as well because it's the most ubiquitous form of the name. It's yeah. if I'm gonna, if I am gonna end up making something of myself, and I'm, and I'm out there in, in you, the world, you already have, and you're very like much this. on your way to keep doing more. Like, just keep doing what you're doing, keep making <laughs> art, keep making art, and then let everything else work itself out. Just keep making art because I, I think you're on a yeah, really please. amazing. So, real quick, uh, criticism uh, before we wrap everything mm-hmm. up. What, what kind of I'm curious what kind of response uh, people in Ireland are having for this movie. You were saying some of the people were really bothered by it. Were there people that are like irate and furious and protesting or was it just kind of a, "Mm, he doesn't have a right to say this. No, it was more just a, just a, 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 a a cultural conversation as opposed to like, there was no actual backlash. Mm -hmm. There was no people on the streets riding. There was no, like it, it wasn't intense whatsoever. It was just a general. And for the most part, Irish people are like that. We're very kind of like we're offended by something. We do it quietly and we move on. It's only like only in in times of actual necessity for revolution do you see Irish people get up in arms and go out and do what we did during the civil war and during the Easter rising and all that kind of stuff. Um, Irish people tend to kind of it's we're a water off uh, ducks back kind of kind of people, and so like it, it, the the generally the conversations that were being ha- had were just about how can it, like because he is seen as an Englishman. You know, he's not see because he was born in England, raised in England, has an English accent, even though his name is McDonough. Um, uh, he, he's still considered an Englishman. You're, you know, you're always even me when I grew up in Ireland. The fact that I was born in London, the fact that I have an English father, that the, it, it, there there was always a kind of a, an undercurrent of um, a, a negativity towards certain certain uh, aspects of of uh, growing up in 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 primary school and secondary school when they knew i was kind of half english um there's a there's a there's still a stigma uh, within that and so the fact that that's there with mcdonough him portraying characters that come across a little bit on the simple side was the biggest issue that i came across yes there was issues in terms of the allegory as well, where people weren't quite sure what he was trying to say because 
if column represents the IRA, for example, anyone who is IRA sympathetic would look at column and think he's a bit nuts and a bit, uh, and, and he's obviously, you know, um, the fact that he cuts his fingers off is incredibly, it's, it's, it's grim. The idea of the IRA, it, 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 the expression, cut your nose off to spite your face would be, you know, directly representative of what, of what Colin's doing. He's just using his fingers instead of his nose. And to refer to the IRA who are fighting for Irish independence in such a way could be seen as disrespect towards that particular group. Uh, not that everybody on this island sympathizes with the IRA, but some are there still kind of active elements of the IRA that would that would find this offensive or that would be provoked by it? I would say so, but I I don't personally know any. They do exist, absolutely, but I don't I I don't know any anyone within in those circles. Um, there is very much a. a a connection with a particular political party here in Ireland that are still very much linked. You know, you, you think of them, you think of the IRA. Oh, so, right. um, you know, yeah. So that's still, yeah, it's still very much in the, in the culture, very much so. And so, you, you know, you could understand if people took a disliking to the way the column was portrayed, given that he is harsh and unforgiving and ruthless and, and insensitive and, uh, and insulting, um, calling his best friend Dole. It's you know you could you could see that why you, you if if that was supposed to be representative of you, of you as a person you might be a little bit put put out by that but I think that the the biggest outcry that I heard from locals was just that Irish people were being portrayed in such a simple way they seem like a very kind of you know uneducated most of them the like the two most educated people on the island don't even come across as though they're Einstein but like Siobhan and Colm just by virtue of the fact that they read books and they can play musical instruments, suddenly they're these, you know, they're the most esteemed people on the island because everybody else is a little bit of a, of a, a, a silly person, you know what I mean? And so for an Englishman to have made a movie that portrayed Irish people in that way, it kind of, some considered it condescending. Mm. Even though, again, he has Irish roots, he has Irish heritage, he spent, he spent his summers here. So, I, I think of an, I, if, if I made that movie, well, even I have English roots as well. So if a fully, 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 fully Irish person made that movie, it still would have gotten so, a little bit of pushback because it's like, why are you making Irish people look so stupid? Mm. You know, that's sort of, and, and again, I don't think that that was the general consensus, but it was definitely some pushback that I've heard down so to interesting. over the last I mean, year. me not being Irish, I can't comment to it. I, I can say watching it, I never thought any of them were stupid. I didn't even think of them as simple. Because they're all very mm-hmm. complex, and, and their yeah, social interactions yeah. were were so complex and interesting, and and also yeah. I thought the language was incredibly lyrical and beautiful, and the way that it was performed was beautiful and poetic. But um, but on top of that, it, it I also think there needs to be kind of like. Uh, that criticism, I understand where that criticism is like, hey, don't represent my people the wrong way. At this, you know, it's that mm-hmm. whole stay in the lane argument. But at the same time, yeah, these are those characters behaving in this way, and those characters don't represent you. These are. But I also think that, that those 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 criticisms criticisms in and of themselves are very condescending because there are people who are exactly like that in mm-hmm. Ireland. I wouldn't call them stupid. They have different. 
uh, you know, with a different lifestyle, different values, different things that they, they enjoy on a day-to-day basis. I wouldn't call them stupid. I wouldn't look down my nose at them. So even the fact that I was hearing some people, like that's a very Dublin thing. You know, I went to the cinema in Dublin. I'm walking out of the screen with my wife and I'm ho- overhearing people having these conversations. And I'm like, do you realize how condescending you're being? Because yeah. you're, you're saying that he's being condescending by betraying Irish people that way. And it's like, but those are just Irish people. Yeah. There was nothing particularly, you know, a negative or I, I didn't find them stupid either they're just they're you know they they speak in a certain way I even for myself as as an Irish person I love when I'm in communities where they do talk like that you know where they have that kind of certain type of turn of phrase and like I said when I'm in those communities I tend to start talking like that myself because I think I think it's beautiful it's very we are a very lyrical um uh culture the way that we use language is very we tend to be quite poetic in the way that we say things because the irish language itself is incredibly poetic we don't say hello we say geoguich which is god is with you and the response is geoguich god and mary is with you and it's like so we're not it's not it isn't just a simple kind of word for hi we 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 have these different turns of phrase that are you know that have more deeper meaning and have more significance and um, you know, there's loads and loads of examples, but like, it's, it's a beautiful, the, 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 the reason why people in the countryside will, will talk in a certain way that'll sound different to me is because I'm obviously very, I'm from a very cosmopolitan area of the country, but they will sit, speak in the English language almost in a way that's very impact, impacted by the Irish language. Mm. And, and that's why they have these really, really nice turns of phrase that are beautiful. I don't consider them simple. I would, I would consider them in a lot, a lot of ways some of the language that the, the people in the, in that film are using are more complex in the way that, you know, the, 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 re, the, the grammar that they have chosen to utilize is more interesting and more complex and more nuanced than the day-to-day language that we use. So why turn your nose up at it? Like, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I, I, I wouldn't come from that perspective at all myself. I don't, I don't have a problem with the fact that we portrayed Irish people like that. In, like in a way I can very, sympathize very to it. Like, um, so before when I was Mormon, um, there were, there were a few movies where these, uh, Mormons got a little bit of a budget and they released some independent movies that were kind of portraying Mormon culture. And when I went and saw them, it was so cringy and so like, Ooh, like I didn't want to be associated at all with that culture because the way they're portraying it was this, yeah, um, yeah. it didn't represent me in any way. And it's like, it's, it's fine. It's, it's representing what they saw. It's not representing what I see or what I saw about my culture. Um, and now looking at it, it's like, no, they're articulating their artistic point of view. And I, I can accept that. But I also get that feeling of like the cringy feeling of like, that's not representing me accurately. But I also think artistically we, we need to just, you know, like, um, you know, if you're a kid that grows up in Guanajuato, Mexico, and you're fascinated by samurais, uh, if you want to write a story about a samurai who's, you know, from Edo, Japan and going and exploring the world, you know, go for it. That means you're going to be curious and learn as much as you can. Um, mm-hmm. So I understand the feeling of like that, that gut feeling of feeling, but to take it to a point where you take offense from it, that's where I feel like it's a little like, uh, I, I, I think you need to grow up a little bit. if You're taking it that personal. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I, and it is, it is that case of, oh, you know, we're, 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 I will never look down my nose at, at myself at people in this country who still have, who still take umbrage with the British because it was yeah. a very difficult of period of time that we went through in our history. At the same time, there's nobody alive today who ever enslaved 
an Irish person, to my knowledge, right? We've been free for a very long time. And the people today, it's like, it's like you know, judging one entire group of people because of what they did in the mm-hmm. past. If we met any Germans today, we wouldn't start going, oh, Hitler, 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 Hitler. We wouldn't do that. But we do that to the British, though. You know, we remind them all the time about what was done to us. And it's like, yeah, but, but nobody that you're talking to did any of those things. And I'm sure they don't agree with any of those things. So it's a really weird situation we find ourselves in that like, you can totally understand why you're like, you, British guy, don't be making Irish movies. You, you, I can see where that where that comes yeah. from, but I would love for that to dissipate, though. You know what I mean? Where it's like, no, we're uh, treat everyone like individuals. Yeah. Don't don't treat them based on their you know the the, the 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 group identity. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is individual. Treat them as an individual. Okay. And, and I and I very much, if you know Mark McDonough, you know he respects and loves Irish people. Right? Um, I, I think ten years from now, I'm going to rewatch this movie, and it's going to be even better than the ten times that I've already watched it. I, I think it's such a beautiful movie. It's so well done. Um, and it's going to age really well. I can tell like this is, there's some movies that just age really well and some feel like they're just speaking to the moment. I would say most movies feel like they're, yeah. you know, trying to speak to the moment. This one is, you know, it will probably show this the grandkids and grandkids are, you know, hopefully have some taste now. It'll probably be a little shit. But. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, and yet strangely, you're, you're, you know, you're, because but there are some people out there who are only going to walk away from a movie with a good feeling, with a feeling like they really, you know, got something out of it, enjoyed it. Uh, it's worth watching again if it has a happy ending. And it's, you know, there's so many people who are going to watch it and, and, and be uh, dejected at the, just the dramatic structure, not thinking about, you know, everything, everything that we've just gone into and walk away thinking, Oh, I don't like that movie. I'll never watch that again because it's, it, you know, it, it, it ends in, in, in such a tragic way. And I, and, uh, it's sad because it actually is, you know, as, as we've pointed out, there's so much to it and there's, and there's so much to learn from mm-hmm. it. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I think McDonough's a genius. I, I really can't wait for whatever he's doing next. Yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely, he's one of, he's one of the, for me, he's one of the great, he's my favorite writer director of all time. Just to point it out. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. I love all of his stuff. I love all of his stuff. I would happily do an entire Martin McDonough series <laughs> if you wanted to do yeah, it. Yeah. Let's explore that. <laughs> Yeah, I love Imbruges. Nice. Yeah, we could have some really good discussion Imbruges about that. Great. It's funny what you're saying about different reactions. Like my sister, when she watched Banshees, my sister is like one of my best friends, and she's mm-hmm. I love her. Like, and this movie, the relationship of like you know the brother and sister relationship that they're they're you know best friends. Like, it just really spoke to me the whole time. I just saw my sister in Siobhan. and I totally identified. Nice with uh with paul rick i felt so bad for him the feeling of like uh you know uh yeah just feeling like you're losing your best friend it's devastating and um Mm -hmm. so when she saw it her response was like i liked it question mark she's like i really enjoyed it but at the end i felt so sad and i'm like that's great so it's a really good experience um, you felt something. Yeah, you That's felt the something. idea. It's about. It's and not, it, to me, it's, like, it's not about feeling good. It's about feeling something. Yeah, and also she's like, I think I have to think about it some more. I'm like, That's great art. That is great art. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. got to think about it some more. That's yeah, the yeah. best thing you could hope for. So cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Um, that's that's our take on the Banshees of Inishirin. Thank you so much, Adam William Cahill. Cahill. I don't. I think I'm just gonna have to call you Cahill. I'm sorry. I'm a dumb American. Cahill is good. Cahill is good. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so uh, be sure to check out uh, the uh, story structure intensive. You can sign up at cinematicore.com 
and uh, be sure to sign up for that. Also, my book, Story by Numbers, is currently available. If you go to cinematicore.com, it'll take you to a link where you can pick it up. And uh, that'll inform all of these podcasts and also prep you for whatever screenplay, story, novel you're working on. Um, Cahill, you want to remind us of uh, uh, where people can find your stuff? Yeah, so thanks again for, for giving me the opportunity to do this. I, I, if anyone is is interested in seeing what the art that I make, um, so my first feature film is called Follow the Dead. It's available on Amazon Prime, on Apple TV, and a few other locations, a few other platforms, depending on where you're located. So just a bit of a quick Google search of Follow the Dead, and you'll be able to find it where you can watch it where you're at. Wild Stag Productions is the name of my company. At Wild Stag Media is where you can get me on all the different social media machines. And uh, I also have a short film called Loose thread that's on sofi.tv sofy.tv it's only something like two dollars to watch that film it's a 25 minute movie uh if that's a drama as opposed to the horror comedy that i made with follow the dead so um i definitely um I'm not a one trick pony. So you can check out a few different things if you want to. And yeah, please do follow along on the social media because we've got a lot of really interesting content coming out, but both in terms of um, clips from the movie, behind the scenes from the movie, bloopers, interviews, all that kind of stuff, but also what we're doing next. And you can see behind the scenes of us making the next films and, um, and just talk as well, you know, having conversations on podcasts, talking about Irish films, which we're going to get into very soon as well. So there'll be a lot of cool content coming up on, on there. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. Uh, and thanks again for watching. Uh, go write something great. Go make some art, do some storyboards, do some sketches, watch some great movies, and uh, let me know what you think about it. Have a great week. You've got a story inside you, a screenplay no one has ever thought of, a novel you've been rolling around inside your coconut for years. Maybe you wrote a few pages and stalled out. Maybe you even wrote a whole draft but don't feel confident it's any good. Or maybe you've been writing draft after draft after draft and slamming into writer's blocks or dead ends or wandering into the weeds. Maybe you just have a few scenes centered around some dope high concept, but you don't know how to develop a character, much less construct a plot that would generate a character arc. Maybe all you have is some simmering spark of an idea. Just a simple desire to write a story this book is for you story by numbers is a step-by-step -step process it gives you the tools to construct a plot that fleshes out your story with characters so real so compelling so multi-dimensional you begin to wonder if you're possessed story by numbers is composed of three parts Part 1 gives you an overview of the 4-act structure, 24 plot points, 8 sequences. Part 2 is a 35-question examination of your story that will guide you through developing and outlining your novel or screenplay into the 4-act template. Part 3, well, that's just next-level dope shit. This isn't just another book on theory. Story by Numbers is a diagnostic toolkit for developing and fine-tuning your story. You'll also want to pick up the Story by Numbers workbook. For each story you're writing, you'll need a journal to organize your ideas. The Story by Numbers workbook is a companion notebook that walks you through the process as you outline your story and guides you through each phase of development. From constructing your protagonist's internal drive to plotting conflicts that expose character to composing scenes that drive compelling stories. By the time you've completed your story by number workbook, you'll be ready to finish your manuscript. Whenever you ask a writer what it takes to write a good story, they usually say there are no rules. If you want to know what they really think, ask them about a novel or movie they hate. Immediately they'll unload a litany of do's and don'ts so specific, so precise you'd think they're citing commandments. We all know following a formula is what turns stories into zombified, hacky imitations of better stories. You don't want a formula. You want a process. 
a method composed of practical principles that breathe life into your concept. You don't want some bullshit magical key. You just want to know what works and what doesn't. Does your story resonate or not? Everyone knows there are no rules for writing a great story. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, here are the rules. Story by numbers. Write more, better, faster, doper.